This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Growing up surrounded by football can be a little boy's dream. Spending long days at the practice field and Friday nights watching his dad coach high school football was magic for Garrett Campbell. Football was in his blood from the day he took his first breath. When other kids wanted to be astronauts and firemen, he wanted to be a football coach. What really fascinated me one time, I was up, I was coaching at, uh, I was at Menlo College at the time, which was right down the street from Stanford University. And a buddy of mine was actually coaching at Stanford University, he was an intern at Stanford University. Um, it was a guy named Nathaniel Hackett, who was the head coach of the Broncos for a little while and all that kind of stuff. So I go over and visit Nathaniel at, uh, at Stanford because we just kind of gotten to know each other. We're both young coaches, whatever. And uh, he introduced me to uh, A.J. Kristoff, who was the defensive coordinator, I believe, at the time at Stanford. And I said, oh, I said, yeah. We started talking. I told him who my dad was. He goes, I know your dad. And I go, you do? And he goes, I recruited his kids. Absolutely, I know your dad. He goes, he's one of the smartest football guys I've ever met. And it just blew me away that my dad had an impact or had that kind of – somebody would say that about my dad, that unprompted 600 miles away from where my dad was. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from cancer survivors, Silver Star recipients, financial planners, and cult survivor, Sanja Ulrich. So there was a lot of um, anxiety on my part. Not only did I always, every morning, have to have my hair done, which was a very painful, she was a rough woman. So my hair always had to be looking cute and I had to be dressed differently, high fashion compared to all the other children, you know, the normal children. So I got teased for looking different. I got trouble at home for not talking perfectly high German and for not bringing home the A's and B's. The rest of my conversation with Sanja can be found on our archives at justgoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into part one of my conversation with Garrett Campbell. Maine Farmhouse Brands was started by Dan McCool, a healthcare professional. His goal was to make premium soap. Most people may not realize how important the right soap is for their health and the difference between soap and detergent. Soap is made from natural ingredients like animal and plant fats, whereas detergent is made from synthetic, often harsh chemicals, even fossil fuels like petroleum. Maine Farmhouse Brands makes their own soap with natural ingredients, free from harsh chemicals. So if you want to keep your skin healthy and clean, I would recommend using Maine Farmhouse Brand soap instead of detergent. You can find their body wash, shave soaps, laundry soap, and beard oils, and more at MainFarmhouseBrands.com. We got the Super Bowl coming up, and I got a football coach to talk about it. How are you, Garrett? I'm doing great. <laughs> We're not going to talk about football. <laughs> I, uh, like I say, a, a thousand times before I start every podcast, I tell my guests how much fun it is to do the research. And I found out that you're legit le- an OC guy. Esperanza yeah, High? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because in my research, I'm looking through and like, most of your career kind of went away. Yes. But then you boomerang back. Yep. How was it growing up in OC for you in the, in the 90s? I, and I loved Esperanza it. High. When, uh, yeah, was we, it still the big Esperanza at that point? That was, that was, in, that right? was, no, that we went to three straight CIF titles. Right. Um, 
Yeah, um, my sophomore, junior, and senior years, we went, and yeah, so yeah, it was it was a big deal. Yeah, it was Esperanza football at that time, right? Was, along with Los Alamitos football in Orange County, with probably Esperanza Los Al, two of the probably the top teams. Yeah. It was bonkers because I was at the register at the time mm-hmm. covering it, and it was amazing how big that school yeah. was. It was like three thousand yeah. kids, yeah. Was, oh, yeah. and you played in that weird league where you're playing Huntington Beach yeah. and es- and Edison and we we that was a little later on they went to the Sunset but we did play okay. Los Alamitos we were in the Empire back then it was okay, yeah it was bizarre. it was Los Alamitos I think Catella Cypress I just can't remember I know some others in there yeah that must have been some fun trips it all the way to Veterans it was, Field it was, it was unbelievable it was so much it was a blast to play in and um, and then you know Coach Meek was uh, was the head coach at the time and. Um, it was a blast to play for him. And then, uh, you know, getting to know Coach Barnes over Los Alamitos because him and my dad were old friends. And, you know, it's just it's just fun to play in a lot of those crazy games that we had, yeah. When did football become a part of your life? The day I was born. Just no no chance. It my dad. Just um, plopped my, it right in the, the crib. <laughs> at the time I was born, my dad was the head football coach at Garden Grove High School. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> if, whether your mother wanted you to play yeah, the piano or yeah. not, you were going to we're, be you were going to play football, throwing a pigskin yeah, around. Yeah, and uh, not that my dad or my mom ever forced it on us, but it was just so ingrained in who we were, and you know, and and but you know, we're running around during the summers with my dad's teams and all that kind of stuff. Whether it was here at Fullerton College or whether it was at Garden Grove High School or Walnut High School, me and my brothers, that's the, our memories are running around. Those schools right. during the summer while they're practicing, we're doing that. So it was always a part of, you know, I, I had a very interesting childhood, and you bet you probably don't know this part. My mom worked at Disneyland, and she retired from Disneyland eventually. And uh, they, they separated divorce when I was about five, so I was pretty young. Okay. Um, so I had a dad who was a football coach and a mom who worked at Disneyland living in Orange County. So I got to go to Disneyland whenever <laughs> I want, but I was around football all the time too. So it was – so you – Talk about OC. I had a pretty blessed childhood, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> you know, your friends must have been absolutely jealous that you could have any it, moment roll into the park or Friday well, nights during a football game. That's it. Now and now, my mom has replaced me with her grandkids. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> was it? Do you look back on it and kind of seem like that was kind of surreal to have one parent who was like a Disney employee and one dad who was, you know, doing yeah. such a f- crazy football yeah. coaching life that you're yeah. in now. Yeah, looking back on it, you don't – and I'll tell you where it really hit me is when I started moving around the country coaching college football is when, you, when people would ask, where are you from? you say, oh, I'm from, from – you know, you, depending on where you are, you kind of say Los Angeles right. just Right, because you're not going to yeah. say yeah, city. I'm, I'm, I, I grew up in Placentia. It doesn't have the yeah. quite – you know, so um, – but I could always say that – yeah, I just my mom worked at Disneyland, so I went all the time. And you know, going around backstage when you're a little kid and you're in backstage because your mom's you know got to go to work, but she's you know so she would during the summer. Let's put it this way: this was the funny part during the summer when um, my mom would have to take me to work sometimes because we didn't have uh, babysitting. Sure. So my my older brother and I would run around Disneyland until lunch, and then we'd have lunch with her, you know, the Plaza Inn or wherever. Right. And then. When, and we'd go back and run around Disneyland, and then it was, her work day was done at 5 o'clock, and we'd, hit the, we'd, we'd go. So that was how I spent a week of my life every summer. So five straight days, that's what my brother and I would do because she didn't have babysitting at the time, but we were – so, yeah. You know how many kids would give an oh, yes. arm to oh, have yes. that kind of summer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unadulterated, yeah. just yeah. free run yeah. of a park yeah. like that? Yeah, it was a blast. It was a blast. Oh so, my god, so much fun, and so I was very lucky. And but yeah, then you're so doing the same thing on a Friday night. 
yeah. you know, running around yeah. the sidelines, yeah. getting to be with yeah. your dad and yeah. up and down. And yeah. So what's funny is having this position now is because my dad coached here from 82 to 95, I think is what it was. Um, is and that's a, that's a long time, right? So I'm here, especially when I was younger, especially in the '82. I was only seven years old, so we're running around here. I'm seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's five years of of different kids that come in to play at Fullerton College. That now they see me as the head coach at Fullerton College. Right. So it's really a it's a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating place to be in my life. I'll just say that when you're seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. and you're looking at Coach Hal at yep. the time, yeah. sure back. If you see a seven, eight-year-old kid now and he's looking at you, is that kind of weird that you're you're now wearing those shoes? Well, I'm going to get a little choked up here um, because my son is 10, and he's on our sideline. And especially the last couple of years, kind of when he hit about eight, my wife and I kind of decided, okay, he's we think he's kind of mature enough to ride the bus with the team to um, be on the sideline during a game where I know he's there, but I don't have to watch his every move, mm-hmm. right? And... I just look at him and just go, oh, my gosh, that was me. And just I watch how much fun he has. And I told the players this this year specifically. I, I told them last year as well, but this year specifically was I thanked our players for the impact that he, they had on my son because he loved being around those guys. Right. And I'm sure I was the exact same way. Sure. Well, I just love being around all the guys that my dad coached. And – um and so, yeah, so it's just that, that, so I'm looking at my son. So I'm able to, what you're saying about think back upon that stuff, I'm watching it 2.0 Yeah, with my son. It's, it's fascinating. fascinating. It's wild. Yeah. It's got to be. How old was Hal at that point? Let's say 85. Oh, I couldn't even tell you. Uh, was he in his 60s? He had to be in I would, 60s, I would guess right? he probably in his, I would guess, no, nah, I would guess he was probably in his 50s would be my guess because my dad would have been about 40. He was probably he was probably mid 50s ish. Would be my okay. guess. I'm just guessing. Yeah. So sure. at an eight year old, you probably thought he was 110. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, especially because he had the whole the right. whole teeth teeth teeth, and he'd pull out his dentures yeah. after a big win. And I re- and that's the thing I remember. I remember him after big wins pulling out his teeth because the players are yelling teeth teeth teeth. And I'm looking around, going, Dad, what's he? What are they talking about? And then all of a sudden, he pulls out his dentures and he throws them up in the air, and the kids go berserk. Um, <laughs> that was the big deal after right. the win. And then, yeah. um, so anyway, so it's just like, that's the stuff that you remember. Yeah. yeah. And coach Sherbeck, um, along with, co- you know, obviously he was the head coach, but then you had coach Sampson, who I still speak with this day, coach Thomas, mm-hmm. who I still speak with this day. Um, coach Fiola just passed away recently. Coach Jesperson just passed away recently. Um, just a number of incredible people that went along with coach Sherbeck. Obviously he was, he was the man, um, but yeah, it was just an incredible experience to be around those people because they were all not only were they all really good football coaches, they were really good human beings. And that's, and I'll tell you, in my coaching career, that's the biggest thing I've learned is surround yourself with good people. Not, not always they're not always the best coaches, but they're the right. best people because those good people get the best out of other people. Absolutely. So, anyway, I've kind of tie- well, went out of tangent. No, but that's <laughs> but that's what happens, right? right? Sure. And you don't realize that when you're eight, but now. At your age today, yeah. you're looking back going, okay, I understand that. Sure. How that works. Sure. Why, at an eight-year-old, you were surrounding yourself with all these great people. Sure. You know, and you're, when you're eight to yeah. a 20-year-old kid, you're idolizing him. Look yeah. around. He's massive. He's so big. He's making tackles. He's making my dad, you know, happy. Yeah. I'm, he's not losing his S on right. the way home. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know, right. Right. And then you realize, looking back on it, that you were lucky enough to be surrounded by good people. Right. That's exactly it. And they're just phenomenal. What was the position 
you kind of gravitate to early in your career, or was there a choice because of the way Dad was coaching? Yeah, it was actually um, for me. It was more more of a quarterback receiver, uh, probably quarterback receiver, defensive back. Um, I was more. I guess I kind of gravitated more towards quarterback, although I was just I would say an average quarterback at best. Okay. Um, I think I could. I think I did some things well there because I knew the game so well. Just having, I mean, right? Because you have that advantage when you're a coach's son. I'll, I'll say this all the time, um, and and sometimes people believe me, sometimes I don't. I think it's and that's okay. When you're a coach's son, you see the behind the scenes stuff that a lot of players don't understand or mm-hmm. don't see. In other words, my dad went after a tough loss. It would stay with him for days and days and days. Right. Um, and as players, you have a tough loss. You're kind of over it the next day. Okay, let's just move on. Coaches aren't that way. They're they're they they put way more hours into coaching than the players do into playing. So I think it sticks with them a little longer. Things like that that you realize that you know that these other that that your players have all these other things going on in their life. And then how do you balance that out? And I remember reading uh, um, uh, John McKay's book, mm-hmm. and he talked about specifically. He had a player that he did not play at USC um, because the kid was struggling with something off the field. I think it was a breakup with a girlfriend or something. That he, he knew this kid could not go out and perform at the level he was capable of really performing at. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. They thought he the, he benched the kid, basically. Right. What he did was he covered for the kid because the kid was heartbroken. Right. Which we've all been there. Sure. Um, and he couldn't play him because he knew he would get just – trashed in right. the media kind of kind of especially right. right and he took one for the team on that kid and and those are the things that you realize as a coach you start to realize all these things these kids are going through um and then you how do you work with that and how you so that was the thing that's what you see but i saw my dad going through that not right. just as me as a coach yes. but i saw my dad deal with it and my dad um probably talk a lot about my dad he was obviously my best friend sure and a lot. <laughs> but he you know his his thing was um Kids need a second chance, you know. Maybe, right. maybe you're, you know, you just got to weigh it out with the, the 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 bigger picture of the team and does it work? But so a lot of so you know, to your point, we just being a coach's son, there's just a lot of things you just see, and so I think, anyways, I went a long way. Well, yeah, this but question, you, but, but but on a Friday night when the yeah. game's over and everybody goes and eats pizza and your dad goes home and he's just sitting there going, oh. I'm living with that play. I'm living with yep. that, you know, halftime didn't work, whatever so, adjustments we made. So it's so funny you say that because I remember so many times. So I, I don't know how normal people lived. Sure. Like, I, oh, I don't, yeah, you I don't no know idea. how my friends lived. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't – I'll say it this way. Ready? I don't know what normal people do on a Saturday afternoon in September or October. Yeah. I don't know. I've right. never had those weekends free. Like, sure. I've never uh, – what's the uh, – what's the, the – the, the memorial is it memorial? What's the one is in Labor Day? Labor Day. Labor. Yeah. I don't know. I've always practiced. Right. Like, what do you do, Labor? I don't know. I've always practiced. Sure. <laughs> you know, whether I was a player or a coach, right? And so I remember. It's funny because what you just brought up made me think of this. Um, I remember going to Coach Sherbeck's house after games. Okay. I remember going to, but the biggest thing I remember when my dad was a high school coach was going to Denny's. There was a, the Denny's. I think it's still up there on, on Imperial and in, in the ninety one, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Up there in Brea, right? And, or, no, I'm sorry, 991, uh, Imperial in uh, 57, okay? And uh, we used to go there after games because it was open late and all that stuff. And so we'd sit there. And I remember falling asleep 
as a little kid, because by that time I was probably I was probably four or five, and I remember falling asleep on the on the booth next to where my dad and his coaches were talking ball, and they were just rehashing everything that happened. Breaking in the, game. the whole game down. Won or lost, they went through it all. Just right. because they were just guys sitting around, that's what they did, right? Yeah. And the wives were sitting there doing their yeah, thing. Talking. Talking. Yeah. And so, but that's that's how we lived. So I just remember all of that stuff. And now I probably gravitated the coaching more than my, I have two brothers, um, just because of my personality. Um, and it just, I was just, just kind of felt a little more right. I, like I knew at the age of eight, I wanted to coach football. This Did you really yeah. at eight? Yeah. Yeah. I was eight so and, and when everybody's saying, I want to be a fireman and an yeah. astronaut, you're like, I want to be a coach. I'm coaching, I'm coaching football. Yeah. And all I wanted to ever coach was college football. Not that I have a problem with the NFL, not that I have a problem with the, the high school coaches. I just wanted to coach college. It just, it just, there was something about it that just drew me to it. Um, and even, I've never cared what level. Even though he was, you know, yeah. at the high school level mm-hmm. for so long mm-hmm. and then came here that mm-hmm. it was I, I the had college read, that just snagged your heart. I had read, a, I had read the biography of Bear Bryant at the age of eight for a class project. <laughs> and I just thought, because in Bear Bryant, I saw my dad. Really? Like, that's the coolest thing ever. I'm like, my dad can do all that. And, and uh, you know, because to me, that's why it didn't matter that Bear Bryant's at the University of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And my dad was coaching at that time, I think, at Walnut High School. What do I care? It's football. Yeah, right. And even still, I've had that same approach to this day. I don't, you know, like, football's football. Right. And so I've always known from that young age, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Wow. Now, I didn't know how I was going right. to get there. I didn't know but, what was going to go. I didn't sure. know what I was going to ma- I mean, I had three or four different majors in college. I was just like everybody else. Um, but here we are. Right. Yeah, yeah majors in college is so weird, especially if you're going to go into coaching, because the one you probably should be in is, you know, therapist. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the one you probably should, for yourself yep. and for the yep. players yep. and the people you work with. Yep. So as then high school ends for you, mm-hmm. right, what is your thought? Now, if, if coaching is in your yeah. mind, what are you going to do? Well, there was no thought. It was coming to Fullerton. Right. Okay. I mean, there was, I had no choice. Like, that's my older brother did the same. So he came here and played. And because okay. my dad's coaching, my dad's on staff. So okay. if you're going anywhere, and it's not like I was, I wasn't exactly five beta kappa. And, you know, I didn't have the Ivy Leagues beating down my door to have me come play, right. play for them. Um, I was an okay student. Um, and so I came here and, um, and, loved it i came in and came with some buddies of mine who from esperanza and we played here we had a great time and then um and i was a little different what year is that so so i have an interesting deal let me tell you the exact so i have an interesting deal on my situation i came in in 90 i graduated high school in 93 so i came in and i came in and i gray shirted i came at 155 pounds see that's gray shirt that's such a term people don't even don't know once you you leave california nobody understands gray shirt so basically, I started my. I did not start my clock. I was yeah, part of the program. Right. I was involved. I lifted. I practiced. I did everything. I just wasn't. I and I. Ta- I started taking ac- uh, some of my academic classes, but I wasn't a full time student, so I never started my clock. My yeah, you had to keep your number low, right? That's exactly it. So then the next year, um, I was competing. I was competing. Everything was good. Um, kind of battled some injuries. Ended up redshirting. What was your height and weight at that time? What oh, so you that time. So I, when I first came in, I was 6'1", 155 pounds. So I was, I was coach Coach Murphy. That was his first year. Coach Murphy called me the down okay. marker because I he confused. If I if I turned sideways, I looked like the down marker. I'm so damn skinny. Uh, which that's a whole nother personality. Uh, oh Murphy. God, yes. Um, and then uh, so then the next year. Um, I was about six one six. I'd grown a little bit too, so I was six two. But I was about one hundred and seventy at that point. So I okay. gained some weight, um, battled some injuries. I really ended up redshirting that year. Um, and then the so finally, 
Now here I am in 1995. I I'm playing and um, doing okay. Playing a little quarterback, playing some receiver, kind of doing just kind of wherever they need me, kind of thing. Um, but I got I because I graduated and then I registered. I got ahead academically, so I was kind of an interesting situation. So then when I come back in '96, I had a chance to play here or transfer on. Um, what I had done was I had started taking classes at Cal State Fullerton, and I was playing here at the same time. Okay. So I have an interesting – it's an interesting deal. You know, right. I get it a lot. We've had a couple of players do similar type deal. Yep. Um, and so I was playing, and I actually had a, an injury in a hip, and, and it just kind of – I was struggling with it. Um, I was going to give it a shot and go to Sonoma State and play up there. Um, and they dropped the program. Yeah. About three weeks before I was supposed to leave. See, that early 90s, a lot of programs scary, scary were just – Yep. Boom, left and right. Gone. Santa Barbara, Pacific, Long Beach, Fullerton itself. Yep. Northridge yep. was hanging on by a thread. thread. Yep. Like it was they were dropping. Chico. Yeah. yeah. It was just it was nuts. So so what do I do? Um I'm already now I'm all, I'm I'm close to, I'm obviously I'm probably two semesters away from graduating from Cal State Fullerton, but I wanted to play football and I sat and I, I talked with Coach Murphy about it for a long time and and he, he he's like, Well, what do you want to do? And I said, All I want to do is coach, you know, and he's like, Well, just just start coaching here. And finish your degree, because he's the one who kind of hooked me up and got mm-hmm. me situated over at Cal State Fullerton with uh, Christine McCarthy over there, who's phenomenal. And um, and so I said, okay. So I kind of started coaching here, and uh, was not making any money. Obviously, he, right. I, and in his in his defense, he, he got a free free labor basically out sure. of me to coach. Now, what were you coaching? So at that time, I was going to coach receivers. Okay, I was coaching receivers. And uh, so that would have been – I kind of helped out a little 97 and 98 is when I kind of took over as the receivers coach. Um, and then what happened at that time also, I had gotten a job over in the admissions and records office here on campus. So I was in charge of all the athletic eligibility. <laughs> so it worked out. I graduated from Cal State Fullerton. I get a job over there. I'm working there 7 to 2, basically. I come over here and coach in the football in the afternoon. I mean, it was a great gig. I loved it. I did that it That schedule years. worked out. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Um so I had so I was so I didn't make a single dime coaching here, um, which I didn't care. I had a job over there; I was fine. You know, life was good, and so yes. But I knew I needed to go to grad school. I knew I wanted to go on Murphy. Coach Murphy and I had a ton of talks about wanting to coach at the four year level and all that. And um, yeah, what's needed, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. People have to understand if you're coaching college at that level, you have to have a grad degree. You gotta have it. Well, you well. You have to serve as a graduate assistant. You don't necessarily okay. have to have a degree, but you better serve as a graduate assistant if you want to stay at the college level because that's how you make all the contacts, the, build the relationships. Now, they didn't have them before, but now they have these offensive analysts or defensive analyst positions. Right. There's so many kind of entry-level positions they have now. It's a little different. Yeah. So. Player development yeah. and all kinds of strategic location. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so, yeah, so I, I coached here for a few years, and my last year here was 1999. Now, how was your coaching style? Right, you're early. You're I young. Idiot. I was an idiot. Were Were you trying to mimic <laughs> yeah. your dad or anybody, or what was your? You know, no. My dad was really good about no. Have your own voice and know who you are. Okay, he was really good about that. Um, Is that something you guys talked about? Oh, we had conversations all the time. You know, when my dad passed away a few years ago, I lost my my. I didn't lose just my best friend. I lost my go to guy. And, right, like um, a mentor of yeah, no wealth yeah. of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing when we look back on our fathers that how much they can provide you, without a doubt. And not only as a not only as a man, in fact, I got a funny story about that. Not only as a man, but as a as in his role now as a football coach, just because he knew the behind the scenes stuff. What really fascinated me one time, I was up, I was coaching at, um, I was at Menlo College at the time, which is right down the street from Stanford University. Mm-hmm. 
and a buddy of mine was actually coaching at Stanford University. He was an intern at Stanford University. Um, his guy named Nathaniel Hackett, who was the head coach of the Broncos for a little while, right. and all that kind of stuff. So, so I go over and visit Nathaniel at uh, at Stanford because we just kind of gotten to know each other. We're both young coaches, whatever. And uh, he introduced me to uh, AJ Kristoff. It was the defensive coordinator, I believe, at the time at Stanford. And I said, "Oh, I, I said, yeah." It, we started talking. And I told him who my dad was. And he goes, "I know your dad." And I go, you do? And he goes, oh, I recruited his kids. Absolutely, I know you, Dad. He goes, he's one of the smartest football guys I've ever met. And it just blew me away that my dad had an impact or had that kind of – somebody would say that about my dad. Right. That unprompted 600 miles away from where my dad was. Does that make sense? I don't know if that yeah, makes no, sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. Just, it really blew me away. And then he wasn't the only person as I grew in this career that I talked to that blew me away. If that makes sense, it just it was fascinating and, that my dad had 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 got to know some people and they had a ton of respect for him and his football acumen, which really I thought my dad was the smartest guy. As I sit there and watch games with him, he'd be calling out the plays and he'd be telling me. I learned so much about the game of football from my dad just watching games with him. Um, and it's if, maybe that moment yeah. where you're like, "Wow, he's not just my dad, right?" Like, people, yeah, no, people no, no. know my dad exactly. That's exactly wow. it. That's that kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> he's here just I, my dad. He's my dad. And he's a guy I'm just kind of relying on for some help with some stuff. But he's he's been screwing up my Saturdays forever. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I just want to be a normal kid. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All my friends are at the beach. Now. Yeah, freaking slinging yeah. bags. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we're carrying we're carrying gear into the equipment room yeah. and doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I smell like Ben Gay. We're, we're at the fireworks stand doing the fundraisers. I we're do. doing all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. selling Christmas trees or whatever That's you it. can to make That's a buck it. for your That's dads. Yeah. My dad Team. was calendars. He learned how to sell calendars as part of his fundraiser. Oh yeah, I remember stuffing envelopes. I mean, we sat in our house. We had we had tens of thousands of envelopes that we were stuffing to help do fundraisers. Right. So, oh yeah, all that stuff. Jesus Christ! Yeah. And you just wanted to be a normal kid. Yeah. No. Well, I didn't know yeah. what a normal right, kid was. Right. Right. That was the. You didn't part. know, but I didn't know. Yeah, I never, I never thought I missed out on anything. And you know, like a, a vacation for us was um, to go. We went. I remember one time we went. Uh, I say a family trip, but it was my brother, my two brothers, and my dad uh, went to Tucson, Arizona, to go to the uh, the what was it, I don't know some bowl game out there that he knew somebody who was playing or uh, coaching in it, so they got us some tickets, and so we drove to Tucson, Arizona, and watched the game. That was how we spent. The sun, uh, not yeah. the Sun Bowl, but it was some it weird was the, bowl. Yeah, there was, was the, tons yeah. of weird bowls yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. even the even the Freedom Bowl and my, my one of my dad's yeah, good friends. The Freedom friends. Bowl, the Independence Bowl. That yeah, yeah. Goofy one of my dad's stuff. good friends was uh, Bill Snyder, who coached Kansas mm-hmm. State for Kansas a long time. State. He was actually my dad was his defensive coordinator at Foothill High School <laughs> in nineteen sixty eight. I could be wrong on the year, right? So it's it's sixty eight, sixty nine, somewhere in there. And so they just were still they were still good friends and they have been for a long time and and um so yeah so it's just so your early coaching style yeah. though was a little squirrely i would say so I, right. I i would say i didn't have my identity i didn't know my voice i would say yeah i, I would i would say i didn't know exactly what i stood for but that's I, not rare that's kind of no, normal it's totally normal it's totally normal because you're because you're looking at all these people you you admire and you want to emulate what they do and but then you realize you got to have it's like you're telling a player you got to have your game well, the coach got to have his own voice, got to have his own game. And I, I don't think I knew what mine was at the time. I think I was just trying to, I was trying to be all things to all people. Right. And I just, that's, that's a bad way. Was to it just natural for you to be on the offensive side and yeah. never look at the defensive side? Yeah. yeah. Because just the way you're playing in just the career. Just the way, yeah, just the yeah. way. My, and, and, uh, and I'll be honest with you, just the way my relationship with my dad and stuff. Right. Yeah. We just, right. we'd sit around and draw plays. We'd talk about stuff all the time. And yeah. So with wide receivers, was that something then you're trying to like 
when you're gathering your voice, to trying to break them down? What was your kind of understanding to the wide receiver? Because they're that guy on the outside. Yeah. And especially in the early 90s, right? Spread offense hasn't come into play Correct. yet. Like it's a, it's still that marginal pro style kind of offense. Yes. It hasn't become what we see today on Correct. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Correct. And Tim Burns, I don't know if you know, you know Tim, yes. obviously. And Tim was Tim was our offensive coordinator. Right. And Tim is a, an old school fullback from Cal State Fullback. All he wants to do is run power. Right. And here I am, a quarterback receiver guy. I want to sling it all over the field. And Tim's like, no, we're going to keep running but, the ball. But the funny thing is your idea of slinging is today would be like, what's wrong with that guy? Right. He barely throws the ball. <laughs> exactly. 24 exactly. times? Come on. Exactly. That's exactly. a quarter stat normally. Right. right, right. And so, yeah, so you're getting these kids to try and – not only you got to run great routes and you get them to be good at that, but uh, but then they got to be in. A, they're important in the blocking scheme, mm-hmm. which today they're not as important in the blocking scheme. Right, they're a very different animal. So you're teaching yes. something that's literally non-existent today. Correct. In fact, in fact, we don't even do it today. We just we just don't embody. Isn't that it. crazy? Blows so my mind. You're trying Blows to, my mind. Yeah, you're trying to get a guy to help get it downfield, get a yeah. little block. Yeah. Trying to nick a yeah. strong safe yeah. something. Yeah. Now it's like stay away. But now, yeah, but now, yeah, now, literally, it's hey, you stay over there in that third of the field because you'll you'll drop you'll draw him. him over. Yeah, and so you're blocking him by not blocking him. Right. In fact, I worked for a guy, Mark Speckman, who is a fascinating individual. If you ever have a chance to look him up, um, he was actually born with no hands. Okay. Uh, and he was our he was the head football coach at Willamette when I coached up there, and he his whole thing was in running his offense was how many people. Can we block by not block by not actually blocking them? Putting and hands with, on them, d- yep. yeah, with misdirection and all that stuff. Yep, how, ball deception. Um, that was and I was fast. I was I was blown away when he said that. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I'm, yeah, I get what you're saying. And he had all sorts of clips where you thought the ball was going to the right when it's just kind of sneaking up the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, for a touchdown, you're like. Well, I thought he had, no, he had it right there. So and, and you know like this, that. all you need to do is get a guy to take a half a step. That's all it is. Yeah. You're half a step. There's a reason it's called the game of inches. Right. It's because that's it. You're talking about you take the six-inch step the wrong way at the wrong time, you're done. Right. It's all over. Yeah. I've got leverage on you. I've blocked. I've taken you out of the play. I might have blinded you. You can't even see. That's exactly it. Yeah. Fascinating. I love this, man. We're going all over the place. I love this. Okay, so. (laughs) This is how my brain works, too. Right, but early 90s, right? It must have been pretty wild for you. I don't know if you started to look at what Houston was doing, the Cougars. When they started doing the run and shoot, and people used to laugh at them. What are you doing, you crazy fools? Right? And now they would look at them and go, that's normal. So, I have a saying. I use it with my son to this day. And um, my dad gave it to me. And. He always said it, and he and it's it's probably the one. If I had one quote from my dad that absolutely just rings in my head, and I could literally hear his voice saying it. His whole thing was, "It's okay to be different, but you got to be great." So when I think about those Houston teams, right, and I think about Klingler, and I think mm-hmm. about Andre Ware, they were unbelievable with Mal Savis running right. the front of shoot, and um, it's fascinating. And they, but they were great at what they did. Right. So it doesn't really matter what your system is as long as you have a system and know how to effectively not only run your system, but make the adjustments you need to make. So to your point, yeah, it's fascinating. Here I am watching us in 21 personnel just pound the rock, which we did a great job of. 
But then I'm watching on TV, and I'm like, oh, my. How did he just throw for 5,000 yards? Right. Or 4,000 yards? Whatever the number right. was at that time. Where, like, nobody's doing that. Yeah. And you're B- like. BYU caught in on that. Right. They were doing right. that. Exactly. Ty's throwing everywhere, yep. and they're yep. having the time of and their so life. it was fascinating. And I just. But they always got short change. Everybody was always like, they they'll never have. work if they play X. <clears throat> they always said it's a gimmick. Right. Gimmick offense. Gimmick offense. Yeah. And I'm just. What I have realized over the years is that. You have your offense no matter what it is. Well, everything's really a gimmick in the end because they used to give guys crap in the 50s for throwing the ball. Yep. Right? All three things can go bad if you throw the ball. (laughs) Right. Right? right, They used to really get on you. It was an accident or it was was something silly to do that. And then United showed them, well, I'll show you, pop, 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 pop. He's all over the field. That's exactly it. You know, I have a a young man who played for me who's, who's now coaching at the Division One level. Um, he was a, he was a graduate assistant this past season, and he he's in, in, at a pretty prominent school in the SEC, and um, they were were looking at this one specific concept, and um, and, and so he they're going around the room and they're talking about it, and 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 so the kid who played for me goes, hey, well, here's how we ran it when I was in college, and I thought it was pretty easy to read as a co- or as a quarterback, and he draws it up, and and one of the other coaches in the room said, this is the SEC that will never work here. And I just thought, my gosh, the, the, I don't know if you want to call it ignorance or the thought that you were so good that something won't work. I, some of the best plays I've gotten, I kid you not, are from middle high school, middle, middle school football. Right. YouTube, Twitter, you can come up with some incredible, now it may not be that exact idea, you might have to tweak it a little bit for mm-hmm. your offense, but to be, to be able to put yourself and say, that will never work here. Last time I checked, it's literally the exact same game. Right. 100-yard field, still 11 on 11. Why wouldn't it work? And so just so when my dad says things like, you be different but be great, it's okay to do things a little different. It's okay to do a, you know. And so that's my point is to be that ignorant to say that will never work here is really a, a selfish um, way of thinking, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean so, – you know this because you've coached long enough and you've been around in the country that there was a way of how football was played in the South, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Defense. We grind, yep. we pound, yep. we beat the snot out of you. Yep. Texas had a little bit of that. Yep. But what did they say on Saturday nights, you know, when the West Coast was playing? Oh, they're chucking it all yep. over the place. And here comes Arizona yep. State against Washington yep. and it with their. Or but San Diego State. San Diego State. The wacky whack. Yeah, the right? wacky yep. whack and things Absolutely. like that. They're always giggling. Yep. But it's sometimes it would show in a bowl game, you would get them together, and Boise State takes it to Oklahoma yep. and shocks everybody. Yep. And you're sitting there going, holy crap, it yep. can happen sometimes. Absolutely. And a lot of that was, and so I think the great coaches do evolve. Like yes. when Alabama was going through in the, mm-hmm. in the, their struggle about in the 10, mm-hmm. they were grinding the ball. Florida's not. They've got you know Rick there, and he's chucking it and doing his thing. You have to constantly evolve. You cannot just stay. Big horses, we run it up front. And the reason you have to, it's actually very simple if you think about it. The other teams have really good coaches too. Mm-hmm. So those defensive coaches are adjusting, and then they go into an offseason saying, hey, just like I do, hey, this these two teams gave me fits with this specific thing. I'm going to go out and I'm going to research this. I'm going to talk to people because i got to figure out how to beat this. I, I still remember this. Um, it was 2000 and 2003, maybe? 2000, no, it had to be 2005, I think it was. 
North Central College. I was at Carthage College at the time. We are playing North Central College, who this was before they kind of went on a huge run, and, and we were coming off a pretty good 10-win season, finished fifth in the nation, some things. Um, but they came out in this 3-3 stack defense, which I'm like, I'm just going to keep my base rules. I'm good. It should all work out. It didn't work out. They didn't they didn't kill us or anything, but it, I, it I, knew it, I knew as a coach, I've got I've to figure this out. I spent, and I kid you not, I spent that entire offseason just researching how to protect this. How do I protect my court? How do I run against it? How do I do? I didn't know. So I started calling everybody. I'm visiting schools. I'm doing everything. All because they just switched the alignment of two guys. That was it. They switched the alignment of two guys. And it threw me for a loop. But my point to, to what you're saying is that everything's always evolving and changing and you have to evolve and change. And they talk about the kids. Well, the kids have changed this and that. Well, coach, you know, uh, I mean, culturally, right. right. But coaches have to change too. And that's where Nick Saban, I give him all the credit in the world because he did, he adjusted and he all of a sudden he didn't like the up-tempo offense and he thought it was anti-football. And, you know, I know he right. went a little bit of rant about it, but then he realized, well, you know what? Maybe I need to adjust. Sure. And he did. And, and, and it was phenomenal. And then he went on run again. And my point is that, that every, everybody is evolving. Everybody's changing. So if you're the one who's not, you get left behind. That it, if your kid has come from a place that's throwing it a lot mm-hmm. or their, their offense is different mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you send them into something that's from the 70s, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. Those kids aren't going to work that way. You know why it won't work? Is, is it, it, I actually think it can. And if you look, and I'll say this, okay, and here's why I say it can is because you look at Harding University, a Division II school, just won the national title, running the triple option, running what you saw at Navy and running what right, you saw right. at, at, at Army, right? I think if if you understand what you're getting into and buy into it, then I think they can have success. I think it's sometimes when you're having to change and evolve and you're not sure why you're having to change and evolve and you can't express it to your players, then your players don't understand that's where you lost the buy-in to what exactly it is. Does that make sense? So yes. I, thought, I mean, and my point is, like, you can bring in, like, we had a really good, really talented receiver here who ended up going to eastern eastern New Mexico and, and had a really good career there. Here he was a wide receiver for us. He went there as a slot running back and crushed it. Right. But they brought him in and said, this is exactly what you're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to use your skill set. And this is exactly. They had a plan for him. And if you have a plan, I think kids will excel. But if you don't have a plan and you don't know why you're doing some of the things you're doing, and, and let me backtrack a little bit too, because you kind of said a little bit, it's not just the players, it's the it's that position coach too mm-hmm. has got to has got to buy in. Yeah. Because absolutely. ultimately it's the vision of that offensive coordinator, right? But your position coach has to buy in equally to sell it a bit more to paint the vision a little, paint that right. picture a little more to the, that. So it was, does that make sense? Yes. But what's crazy is as you said, the players have evolved. The yes. body and yes. position, the speed of the player, which is kind of like I love watching the Army Navy game. Yes, right. Love watching that first yep. week of December. Yep. But they might nip a Notre Dame here and there, or, yep. or pick up a win against. But they'll never have those success of like in the forties and fifties because the player that goes to Army and Navy mm-hmm. still has a body of a guy from the fifties. You're not going to get three hundred pound linemen because the guy. At, can't be in a sub right. at 300 pounds and you're not going to get six foot five right. wide receivers or a right. six foot three. And so those players are super smart and intelligent, yeah. but their bodies aren't the same as the guy going to right. Houston, Texas, SC, Hawaii. Well, and, and, and that's a hundred percent right. Because I'll tell you what, I, 
when I was head coach in Illinois College, we took a we did a we played a game up in Canada and we took a bus ride. And one of my things was we stopped at West Point okay. and we took a tour. We took these guys on a tour of West Point as a bus tour. They jumped on our bus, they drove us around, we got out and checked things out. It was it's phenomenal. <laughs> oh yeah, the castle. Oh, it was unbelievable. So but they knew we were a football team coming through. So they kind of geared us a little more to the athletic stuff and it was really fascinating. Well, the, the lady who was, uh, and, and she was a former officer, basically, but she had gone to West Point, and she graduated, and um, and she was telling us all the stories, but she started talking about the football players there and how um, they used to have to have weight restrictions and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but the football coaches were able to get those kind of taken away until after they were done playing and getting close to graduation. So they basically, instead of having check-in all the time throughout their four years, right. they just said, okay, we're going to check at the beginning, and then we're going to check you four years from now. Yeah. But that helped the football program, right? right? And so all of a sudden, they started winning more games. And, um, and actually, I take the back. Navy was the first one to do it. And then Army quickly found right. out, like, we need to do this too. Sure. And uh, But it was fascinating. But to your point, they, were, they weren't playing anymore with the 1960s, 50s, 70s bodies. They were playing with the 2000s bodies, which are... The, the the strength conditioning is totally different. Oh. The speed and agility is totally different. I just what they're eating, just they're flat eating. out what they're eating. Exactly, exactly. And the knowledge of what they're doing, all this stuff with, is fascinating. I I look at and I've coached quarterbacks now for about twenty years, and I am just absolutely floored how much more well prepared my quarterbacks are by the time they get to me from high school than they were. 10 or 15 years ago. Isn't that crazy how much they've just, they're much more aware yep. of where to call stuff and where yep. to read. Yep. There's still things they need to coach them up. Sure, on. obviously. But fascinating to me that they're so, because well, they've gone to quarterback trainers and they've done this and they've done that. Camps out of the kazoo, just left and right. Yeah. Yeah. And then what they can see, they can yeah. actually study on this computer, which you had no ability to get anywhere near in 1990. Correct. And on the phone. Yeah. I'll send out, I'll do things with my quarterbacks and I'll just do a, I'll do a YouTube video of voicing over the video our, our, from our practice. And I'll just go, Hey, here's a, here's a seven minute video. Just watch this before you come to our meeting. Seven minutes of a YouTube video. Yeah, I said to them it. to say, Hey, just, uh, this is your prep for our meeting. And it's fascinating. And just the technology, everything, everything, everything is fascinating. So as you're, as that you're here at Fullerton mm-hmm. at that time, what are you thinking next steps for coaching? Are things working out for you to, to, to see like I can coach next Yes. Yeah. yeah. I started realizing I had some great conversations with my dad. Um, you know, there was a couple of things. Um, I'm thinking about going on to gra- graduate school. I obviously got my degree in kinesiology from Cal State Fullerton. And then I'm thinking about, okay, I need to get a, I need to be a graduate assistant somewhere. That's the next step. Okay. So where do I go? And, you know, we had connections you know, between family. We had some people that we knew, but I really, I had zero desire to go Division One, so I'm I'm one of those weird guys. I had I, I never really had desire to go big time. I talked to Coach Murph, and he was there, and he did some things. Mm-hmm. He loved it, and it was great for what it was. And he was very clear with me all the time. It's great for what it was, and um, so I ended up getting offered because I wanted to coach. Because at that time, your graduate assistants didn't coach. Right. They were, no. they, they were they were the true grunts. They're still gruntish now, <laughs> but you have other people that kind of took on some of those responsibilities. Um, I just wanted to coach. So I was offered, actually offered a position here at University of Redlands for Mike Maynard okay. way back when. And I was offered a job at um, Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And uh, for a guy named Ken Heipel, whose son at that time was a starting quarterback of Oklahoma named Josh Heipel. And so my thought was I can stay in Southern California or I can just take a shot and just leave California. Because now I'm 24, whatever. I'm just like, I've been here. I'm ready to move on, whatever it is. And, um, and so I left and went to 
South. North Aberdeen, South Dakota. Which, of all places, right? Because yeah. the Dakotas are the two states you got to kind of go to. You don't drive through. <laughs> you, you ain't passing through. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, my dad used to always joke the state, the state, uh, what do you call it? The state tree was the telephone pole. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it, and it was flat, man. Aberdeen is, it is flat. There were some incredible people there. And it was a town of, you know, 25,000 people. And I still remember there's a sign when you get off the I-29 and you drive to Aberdeen. It says Aberdeen. 72 miles. So when you get off the interstate, you still got another 72 miles to get there. Good Lord. That's a little different than driving the 91 where yeah, every right. mile you got an exit. Quarter mile, quarter yeah. mile, quarter mile. <laughs> this one said so. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, Jesus And so Christ. I went there. You better have a full tank you, of gas. You, well, that was the, yeah, that's a whole other story I got. But yeah, it was, but it, what I found out was the pheasant hunting capital of the world. So I, I got to do a couple things. I went pheasant hunting. I did ice fishing. I went snowmobiling. It's the first time ever. I'm, a, I'm, a, right. I'm an OC kid. Yeah. Living in South Dakota. I'm like, I'm only here. It was a one-year master's program. That's why that's why I ended up choosing that. Because I'm like, if I don't like it, I'm gone after a year. Who cares? Sure. I can do one year. If I don't like living in South Dakota, and sure enough, it was cold. It was very right. cold. It's a different world. It is. But it's the best thing to do at that point in your life. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I'm glad I did it. And, um, um, yeah. How was the football? How was that program? How- so that was the fun part. They were just coming off a championship season. Um. It was a fascinating year because that, that was 2000, and that was the year. So Josh, is, Josh, that was 2000 for Oklahoma. They are playing in the national title. Josh is the quarterback. So our head coach has to miss a few games to go watch his son play, right? <laughs> and we, I remember sitting around talking about this, and I remember, and I'm still good, I'm good friends with Mike Ogus, um, who was the head coach at Canyon for a while, but his dad, Dave, was the head coach at Santa Ana for a long time. Well, Dave, <laughs> Dave would go to practice all week and then not go to the game on Saturday because he'd go watch Mike play up at Northridge. And I and I remember just going. That's the coolest thing. I just thought that was the coolest thing, and that 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 you had enough courage to miss the game, but to be there all week. But say, look, I'm a family man first. I'm going to watch my son first, right? That's right. the coolest thing. It was yeah. kind of random, but so the football itself was it was no different than what I had here, with the exception of we had scholarships and some other things. So there was some you know. And it took up a lot more of your time because you're here at Fullerton College. Kids are commuting. Coaches are commuting. I got part-time coaches, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. There, everybody's right there. Everybody's in town. You call a team meeting, and within 15 minutes, everybody's there. <laughs> yeah, they better be. Yeah. And um, and not a lot of cell phones, so you're on, the, you're, sure. you're on a phone tree calling everybody's home or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I learned a lot of organization from Ken Heupel. And... Uh, it was it was a fun deal. We were a ground and pound team. We we ran a ton, but um, the football didn't open my eyes. There was nothing football wise that really blew me away. But what did blow me away was I'm like, wow, this we're staying in hotels and we're doing th- we don't do those things here at the community right. college in California. Right. And have not unfortunately not having gone on to play at the four year level, I didn't experience a lot of that. I knew it happened, mm-hmm. but so all of a sudden I was I was you know now traveling on these buses and I remember driving through the state of Wisconsin because we went to go play Stevens Point going. This is really beautiful. Holy cow. This is a beautiful state. Just drive the rolling hills and all that. Little did I know about five years later, I'd be moving there. Right. And yeah, you had no idea. No idea. And um, so anyways, but the football itself, was it was it was solid. There's some great players, some kids I still keep in contact with this day because we, at that time, they were looking for a guy to coach receivers okay. and recruit Southern California junior colleges. I'm like... Well, check and check. Here we go. And um, I got offered the position. It worked out pretty well. See, now that, that's a new hat now, recruiting for you. Yes. So I, before I was just recruiting local guys. Right. You know, I'd obviously Esperanza. I'd go over to Sunny yeah, Hills you, or whatever. And as but you know, you're different. recruiting a guy from 
Yorba Linda. That's not a hard sell. Like it's three miles away. <laughs> exactly. Now you're recruiting a guy to come to South Dakota, and he's only been in Anaheim. Correct. That's a different animal. Where is that on the map, sir? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's exactly it. Do you own a coat? Yeah. You need a big one out yeah. here in South Dakota. Yeah. I mean, that's a different yeah. sell. How yeah. was that being a salesman? You know, it's funny. Thankfully, the good part was that I only recruited to junior colleges. So I had kids who were ready, like myself, who were just ready to leave Southern California, ready to strike out and do something else. Now, you had to sell your worth versus other people's worth. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have a lot of money, so we weren't really flying a lot of kids out to South Dakota to come visit. So you're just kind of having to sell them on who you are, what you're about, what your program is about, and that kind of stuff. It was tough. It was a, it was an interesting deal. Did and you have much of an internet presence or not that like, time? No. What are you trying? No, the internet, the internet, the internet wasn't really around. Uh, we had a web page. I still remember, but that was when everybody had dial-up. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny to think that's only 24 years ago. Oh my gosh. But I mean, well, it's not. It's it's a different sell yes. before the internet and YouTube Huge. and the phone and I say this all the time. So by the time, so even fast forward. So when I take over as head coach at Illinois College in 2008, so it's only eight years. Right. The internet by then was a much bigger deal. Okay. And what you found was some colleges had a presence, some didn't. So when I took that, when I took over that job, they had unbelievable facilities, but it was nowhere on their website. So we just did a cribs tour, and all of a sudden. Our, our interest in our football program went up drastically because people knew they could see who you were. And so fast forward to today, our kids can do virtual recruiting visits at all these schools now because they can see what it's like in, you know, if they go to Northern State or go right. wherever. They can see what it's like before they even step foot. They can, heck, they can pull up their phones and see it on their phones before ever talking to a coach even. Right. It's fascinating. That's such a different world. And well, and I'll say this, on the back end – on the back end for coaches, Huddle has changed things, uh, which is our, our software that we use uh, for, for our video, um, and then Google Docs. And right. just that has changed things. So now I can develop practice plans, and my coaches can see them in real time. We can do our recruiting databases. Coaches see it in real time. It's unbelievable, the technology now. When your dad was coaching, was it like black and white, L 8 millimeter when so, he was like it? You know, yeah, so, wherever so high school. My dad had an interesting. My dad was not one to sit around. So he <laughs> not only did he coach, he taught, but he also sold. He was also a salesman, and he sold what was called Lafayette Instruments back in the day, which is the precursor to all the video stuff. All the all the the um, how do I explain? He sold like VHS tape decks okay. and he sold what we call what we call cowboy clickers which are basically like a glorified mouse kind of thing that mm -hmm. we use for football to right. fast back forward and, and forward. Back, yeah yeah you know if you remember the old uh the 15 millimeter stuff yep. your fast forward rewind all that stuff um it was like that but for video right um so my dad sold us we had all that stuff in our garage so yeah we had so i remember going from all these reels which we actually still i actually still have some of that stuff in our in my house when he passed away uh, my stepmom gave it to me and then then went to video and then it went to CD and then it's then it went basically went straight on to online. And so it was fascinating to see how that evolution of all that your dad's head would my spin. dad my dad was cutting video, like oh literally cutting God. it. And you know, but I remember sitting there recording and off these off these VHS <laughs> tapes and doing all that stuff. These kids have no idea. No clue. I got young coaches who have no clue about any of this stuff now. None. They're like, what do you mean? VH VH what? So yeah. <laughs> I remember uh when I played at La Habra, the mm -hmm. sunny, we're playing Sunny Hills, mm -hmm. and uh, I heard the story because the coach was talking about on the way back mm -hmm. that the Sunny Hills coach's VHS recorder mm -hmm. like stopped working, mm -hmm. and he's like screaming, "Who's got a blank tape? Right. Who's got a blank <laughs> tape?" Like it's just right. like right. 
And he's like right. freaking out. Like, right, right. Who carries a blank you right. know, tape on them? Right, right. Just absolute panic. I'll take it a step further. So what do you do after after these games? So it's funny because I, I talked about the Denny story earlier, right? So we're at Denny's late after the game. and But the part I left out about that story was when one coach would have to leave there to go meet the next team that they're playing to meet their coach to exchange the VHS tapes, yeah. the videotapes, right? <laughs> and uh, one time I was at Carthage, and I, I had to drive two and a half hours to meet another coach. Uh, coach Barnes was at that time head coach at Augustana. We were going to play Augustana that, that that week, and we had to exchange films. But here we are. He's driving three and a half hours. I'm driving three and a half, or whatever the number is, to meet, to, to exchange this film at some random Six truck hours stop. out of your life yeah. to Random truck stop. Plastic. <laughs> <laughs> On a Sunday morning. And we met, and we would meet at like seven in the morning, eight in the morning. So I'm leaving at like three, in the, three or four o'clock in the morning to go meet him. Yeah. Can you imagine driving to to Bakersfield I to know. hand over a hard drive? I know. I know. And now you just click, click, done. Oh. Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, it, it, fascinating. And it, we're not talking that long ago. No. I'm only 49 years old, and this was this was in two, this is less than 20 years ago, or right. about right about 20 years ago. Actually, it was less than 20 years ago. Yeah. Jesus. So, yeah. So from <laughs> South Dakota. Yeah. Where where are you thinking now? Landing place. So I interviewed. It's funny. I interviewed um, at Howard Payne University down in Texas with a guy named Vance Gibson, who is just a phenomenal human being. Uh, Division three school down there. Now here's a question. Yeah. When you're thinking about that interview, is it do you where do you find out about interviews? Is it he, word of mouth? Or? That's a great question because this was a little before the internet, right? Right. There was still a little bit. There was a thing back in the day called K Coach where people could post things, but the two. The two jobs that I was kind of offered um, at some point in time were um, coming out of that experience was um, that through Vance. So it's all about word of mouth. It's all about who you know, right? It's all about the Vance put out a word to guys who would coach for him. Hey, I'm looking for a young coach because I'm not going to pay him much money. So I need sure. a younger coach, preferably somebody who's got a few a few years experience, whatever. And so a guy named Ken Napchek, that it was the quarterback coach where I was at Northern State, said, hey, Vance is looking for a guy. I put in a word for you. He's going to call you. I'm like, perfect. Well, it turned out that Vance actually played for Bill Snyder at Austin College. And Bill Snyder, knowing our family and knowing me, Vance called Bill. and Because I have my resume. It says Bill Snyder, who at the time was – at that time was the head coach at Kansas State. Okay. And so, you know, that's a pretty prominent name to have on your sure. resume. So he and called, he's a good guy, too, so that helps. Great, great human being. Phenomenal right. human being. There's some egg holes you don't want on your resume, but they have a, a name. That's exactly right. That's exactly but right. But Bill's name's clean. Yep. And and Vance played for Bill. So Vance calls me and, and said, hey, I talked, you know, I, you know, whatever. When he said, hey, I talked to Bill. And I said, okay, great. Right. He's Tyler. a good guy. Yeah. And He's so they f- brought me down for an interview. They brought me and another guy down. Um, they end up offering the other guy the job. He takes it. I end up at Willamette University with Mark Speckman, who... Again, I said he's the coach. He has no hands. He does a lot of public speaking. Phenomenal. He's a great, one of the best human beings I've ever worked for. I go and work for him. This is the interesting thing at Willamette. They call it. The, they joke around called the cradle of coaches because built into the side of the stadium is a four bedroom apartment. And I had one of the rooms in the four bedroom part. So there's a number of coaches who have lived and coached at Willamette University in the stadium. I, everybody jokes about Rudy because obviously sure. that's the first thing. To them. So it was a little better accommodations than that. But it was literally we had dorm beds. We had you know, but it was four bedroom, four single bedrooms with this um, with this in this little apartment. And 
built in on the second floor of the stadium, and you could see the bleacher, you know, squares mm-hmm. cut off as it, you know, as it goes down. That was part of the living room. And so, um, so my, my, my living room and kitchen was basically like a triangle <laughs> kind of thing. And, and 45 degree cut. it was fascinating and I loved it. I absolutely, I'm telling you this, it was, if I could have stayed there forever and coached, I would have, that was, that was the best place, uh, in terms of just at that time in my life, I'm like, this is, I'm in heaven. I'm coaching football. I'm great, working with great kids. I have a, the staff was unbelievable that I was working with. I'm like, I'm happy. I got paid $5,000 to coach football. My job, because I lived in the stadium, was every night I had to check the locks and make sure the gates were locked on the stadium, right? <laughs> you know, you were the super? Yeah, basically. But the cool thing was I had a key to the, uh, I'm probably saying stuff now, right, but, right. but whatever. Like I had a key to the uh, the snack bar, so I had nachos and, and soda whenever I wanted. Um, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I was great. So I'd go in, I'd work and all that stuff. And it was, it was, I'd come home and and I had another job that was supplement. So I'd I'd work at a, a, I worked at a middle school a little bit. Um, yeah, it was fun. But that's the phenomenal part of this business is like, there's these weird moments in your life where it's like, it can't get any better than this. Yeah. Like this has got to be it. Yeah. I was so happy. I was so happy. I was just, I was good. And there's some guy at like Texas who's a defensive who's coordinator miserable. who's absolutely <laughs> miserable. It's exactly absolutely. It's he's exactly. just like he hates his wife, his yep. kids, the dog. Yep. Goddamn long horn. He's over it. <laughs> yep. He wants to wear anything other than yep. burnt orange. And you're in this 45 degree apartment <laughs> place, and you're like, I'm living the dream. I am not making a dime. My parents, my dad would fly up a couple times a year, watch the game. <laughs> it was phenomenal. I mean, it was just like he, he was. He loved, you know, what was really fun was because I was kind of living out what he would have liked to do. My dad was offered a couple jobs. Frank Cush offered him a job at Arizona State. Uh, Mouse Davis offered him a job at Portland State. Um, but at that time, college football wasn't paying what it pays. Right. And so he would have to give up his high school teaching job. And he's got three boys and it just would never yeah, work. For 37000 so, at Portland so State. Here, exactly. No, well, it was half that. It was right. two, it He was, had taken, two, I still remember the story, taking two jobs and split them up. And he said, "Here's your, here's your, basically your twenty grand or whatever it was at the time. And this guy's going to make that. You make the other twenty. And but my dad's like, I got three kids. I can't, I can't give up my teaching job for that. You know, right. it just wasn't. So, but so I'm living kind of his dream, if you will, mm-hmm. which is awesome because you want your kids to do better than you or do the things that they right. want to go do. So here I was, and um, well, you I, know I, this between twenty three and thirty. Oh that, my gosh, that's probably the most jumping around a coach will do." Like literally maybe every year or every other year, he's jumping to the next spot. Yes. And I'm going to say something my dad said that was, I don't know, maybe people won't think this is politically correct or whatever, but he said, if this is what you want to do, don't get married till you're at least 30. Right. And then he said, live with her for a season before you marry her. Right. Because she's got to know a coach's life. She's got to know. She can, she can love and, football, but that's totally different. And I was the crazy guy. Like, I, I have no problem in it. And again, I, I, did, I didn't care what level. I had the I was the guy who would sleep in the office. I had no problem. Well, I slept right. in the stadium. But, <laughs> yeah, but I had no problem. Like, I was, I loved it so much. I, there was, I was just so, I was a sponge. So that 23 to 30 you're talking about, I was a sponge just soaking everything I could, just soaking it up. And it was phenomenal. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then, yeah. Then See, we were And we were four and five that year. And we started... <laughs> Our biggest loss was a 13 nothing loss to Pacific Lutheran in a just a torrential downpour. Pacific Lutheran with Frosted Westring, which in, in my world is a big name, 
had just won the national title two years earlier. So you're not talking about a bad team. And we started in that season. We started about, I think we, at one point we had like 16 freshmen starting. Like we, sh- we had no business winning a lot of games. And we won four out of the nine. The 10th the, the one was 9-11. Oh. That's the only reason we didn't play that one. Yeah, okay. we were supposed to travel. We were because we, right. we were supposed to travel to Wisconsin and play Wisconsin. Okay, State, so yeah, just threw but, that off. Yeah, but the point is, I loved. It. I had. I was learning so. I was learning so much football, and I was learning from a guy. Mark Speckman is very well known for his offense and things he does. So mm-hmm. here I am, just soaking all this stuff up, and I just, I'm sitting around going like. You know, and I remember going to weddings because that's about the time I was 20, was I probably 25? I got buddies getting married and all that stuff. And you're going to weddings and, you know, this guy's doing this and this guy's doing that. And I'm like, I make five grand and I live in the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what do you do? If she's into nachos and soda, right. I can totally she's hook her right. up. <laughs> so you just, so you just sit there and you're like, okay, well, what, is, what does all this mean? You know, and I'm loving it. And, but I'm watching my buddies do really well. Anyway, so you learned really quick. Don't judge yourself. Compare. Don't compare yourself to other people not in the business, because you will get discouraged really fast. Because a lot of coaches, I would say ninety percent of coaches aren't making much money, but right. until, until they hit thirty. And my dad always said that too. Like your real life doesn't start till you're thirty, anyways. And I never understood what he meant until I turned thirty, and I started. Oh, I, I okay. See what you're saying now, yeah, I, I get yeah. it now. So, yeah. So I was I was happy. I loved it there. I loved it there. Did you spend any time with the defensive side? Because there's one thing yeah. when you're on offense and you're working wide receivers, mm-hmm. but if you spend time with a defensive back and he could tell yeah. you, hey, you know, we could beat wide receivers by doing this, by doing that. Did you ever do that? I, I did. No, I did. But I'll tell you what. And we're talking about time at Willamette specifically. Um, <clears throat> Chris Prangy was our defensive coordinator at the time. Uh, he's now got out of got out of it. I think he's a forest ranger in Montana or something. He's <laughs> smart. He's, he, that's just who he was. He kind of fe- he's a guy that fell into coaching and just loved it and did it really well. And then was like, I've had enough. I'm gonna go do what I want to do now, kind of thing. Um, but Chris, I remember sitting at dinner with Chris because he, we were about the same age, and um, or I, I, I take that back. He was about three years older than me, um, and he had just started being the defense coordinator. We started talking. We were sitting at dinner one night. And I remember we had. This is what coaches do. You have the little uh, sugar packets. Mm-hmm. So you have the yeah, pink right. ones and the white ones, and you're just going through stuff, and you're talking, yeah. and you're you're just tit for tat, right? You're going back and forth. And he started telling me, he goes, all we're trying to do, I said, because well, I was telling him, like, tell me what you're trying to do. And he goes, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to get a half man more than you've got. Blew my mind. I'm like, half man? I said, that makes total sense. Because I had already learned previously that, when you're running the quarterback, you want you're trying to get a plus one advantage. You want one more guy that they can defend. Right. Well, I'm like, okay, well, if we want one more and he's trying to get a half, you know, and I just start doing all this and I start he just blew me away. And I'm like, that is phenomenal. I start, so I looked at defense from that point on very differently. From that that night at dinner, and I don't know if I ever told him this, I probably should. I don't know. I'd have to find some place in Montana where he's at now, but I'll figure it out. I see him on Facebook every once in a while. But it blew my mind. It changed my. It changed my look. Um, how I looked at the game. And again, all I ever really wanted to do, I wanted to coach football. I really just wanted to call plays. I just wanted to call offensive plays. But I knew I had a long way to go before that was going to happen. I knew I had a lot to learn. But learning that part part of the defense changed me on offense. If that makes sense. Yeah. Just learning how what he was what yeah. he was really trying to accomplish. Right. And then from that point on. Because you're both I, trying to manipulate each that's other. Exactly it. That's exactly it. And so what I learned from that point on was now I'm just I need to know who is that guy across from me? Like I need to know that defensive coordinator's personality. So mm-hmm. I 
and and it may sound a little creepy. So this is as the internet's starting to become an. But that's how it works. Yes, because you need to know who they are, what they're about, what their tendencies are, what they're. And I'm not just talking about football tendencies. I mean, what kind of person they are. Right. So I'd get to know people like at the coaches' convention every year. I I oh you're so, you know coaches all get to know each other. They do. And then you start to get to know people and you start seeing, okay, I see why he takes more chances. Or I see why he right. is more of a zone guy versus a man guy. You start, and it's, you start figuring out who they are and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Right. Because that's so your that day to day or your week to week, at least game plan. Yeah. Yeah. Because from one week, you can have a guy who's a total gambler. Correct. He's blitzing. Correct. 60% of the time. Yep. yep. Then you got another guy who's just zone. We're safe. We yep. blitz maybe two, three yep. percent, but we're real wild because yep. somebody hired this nut on special teams and he's doing all this crazy crap, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. Are you a, are you a bend but don't break, or are you just yeah. say we're going to play a ton of man and we're going to live by that sword and we're going to die by that sword once in a while? Yeah. Okay. Cool. You know, here with Brian Crooks, we are we're we're going to play all man to man, and we're going to live by that sword. And we're going to die by that sword, but that's who we are. Right. And that's where you start learning all this stuff and. and when you have an identity and you have your values and you know what you stand for, you can communicate it better with the players. Once the players realize and once the players know it, they'll buy in better. Right. Because you're creating that culture. Whatever whatever you want that system to be, if you can articulate what you want the system to be to the players and to the coaches, you're going to get the buy-in. Now, so. you mentioned you wanted to call plays. Like You yeah. feel that in your bones yeah. that that's. Is that where you're starting to look your next place? Is yes. to get me to a place where I can call the plays on offense. So it's an interesting deal. I actually, it's a funny story. So I'm at Willamette. I'm living in a stadium. Yeah. You're- I've got a little job at a, at a middle school that I'm just kind of like same back to the same deal where I'm working seven to two. I'm coaching football. I'm recruiting. They give me some money to go on the road to recruit now and again. I'm like, this is great. Like I'm living the dream. I'm 25 years old or whatever I was. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm very, very happy during the summer. Um, right before I went up there, in 2001, so this would have been maybe July of 2001, I go and work a football camp, and I want to say it was, I can't remember where it was. Oh, I know where it was. It was up at, um, I think it was up at St. Mary's in Moraga. Okay. They used to have football back in there. Yep. I went up and I worked Again, another place that used to have. Yeah, drop football, exactly. Uh, California and football haven't always mixed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I go up there and I work at camp, and I, I'm sitting there with um, this other guy who, and again, I told you, I don't, to me, what level a guy is at doesn't matter to me because if you're coaching football, you're coaching football. And so I meet this guy. And he's, he's there with his son, but he's a youth football coach. I meet him. We start talking. And this other guy walks up, and he says, oh, I coach at Menlo College. I'm the offensive line coach. I said, oh, okay, cool. You know, And, and, it, and I, you don't have smartphones, so it's not like you're going back and looking people up. You just kind of they are what they are, they, mm-hmm. you, especially there. You know, Nobody's faking being a coach, so you just kind of right. – so, so I meet. It's so kid. cool. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so we go and coach during the day. And then at night, the three of us kind of, we all kind of clicked um, this youth coach. And I forget his name now, but then, and then this other guy, uh, Mark Kanapu, coach, coach K. And we kind of click. And so each night we kind of went and had dinner together and sat around and chatted, not, not necessarily football stuff, but just kind of life stuff, just kind of asking questions about each other. Well, we're on the last day of the camp. And then he tells me, Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. I think I, I didn't tell you this. I'm the head coach. I go, what? He goes, you told me you're the O-line coach. He goes, no, I'm the head coach. And O-line coach, I do coach O-line, but I'm the head coach. And I said, what the heck? You know, I just, you know. And so we kind of joked about it. So him and I stayed in touch that 2001 season. And um, after that season, or in spring of 2002 now, and again, I'm happy. I'm just living my life. And him and I have stayed in touch and whatever. And, I, you know, I kind of applied for a couple jobs, but nothing that I was really fired up about. 
And he said, Mark calls me up and, and uh, Kanapu and says, hey, I've got a job for you. You don't make a lot of money there. I'm not going to pay you much more. Actually, I'm not going to pay you much more. I'm not going to pay you any more. Um, but I got a place you can live and you'll call my offense. You'll run the offense. You'll call the place. And I'm sitting there going, this is what I wanted, right? So I remember talking to my dad, talked to all the people, and, and Glenn Fowles at Willamette, he was our offensive line coach at the time, our offensive coordinator, and he said, where do you see yourself in five years? I said, well, I see myself calling plays, you know, coaching offense, whatever. And he said, which path is going to get you there? Obviously, going there, you'll be calling plays and do whatever. I, you know, I'd like to be full-time because mm-hmm. I'd like to make decent money I mean, instead of making seven. I, they're always going to pay me 7000 to coach. Right. Um, I can't live in a van all my life. I, right. <laughs> So, so I, so I, I and, he, and he said, he said, well, I think your path is pretty clear. I go, but I love it here. He goes, you may love it down there too. And he was spot on because I took the job, went down there, absolutely loved it. Um, I was there for two seasons and um, this is where I was really blessed is between him, um, Tim Rux, who was the next guy I ended up working for and Tim Burns as the three head coaches I worked for as an assistant who called the plays, right? <clears throat> not one of them ever questioned play calling. Not everyone, not, they never said you should have done this or you should have done that. Not once did that ever happen. And I was very, very fortunate. You hear about a lot of stuff. Oh, oh yeah. You hear about all those power struggles, if you will. I never had that. Um, I like to think partly because I think, I think they hired someone because they were kind of all, O-line type guys or Tim being a fullback guy, they hired a guy who was more of a quarterback receiver guy so we could have those conversations. So we never got to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I've never had – so I went down the, I went down to Menlo and I called the place down there. And Menlo was a very, very fascinating place um, because of its proximity. Now, you've left South Dakota, you know, not well, too long ago. So, <laughs> I mean, come on. You've already set the bar at a right, different right, high. Right, right. Well, let me say, they're fascinating all in different ways. Let's put it that way. So I go to Menlo, my offensive line coach. So now the previous two head coaches at Menlo were Kenny Mardrum, okay, who's a Fountain Valley guy actually, and but played at Stanford, played in the league, played for the Niners, and Doug Cosby, who played for the Cowboys for a long time. So these are two NFL guys, right? Guy McIntyre is one of my line coaches who played for the Niners for a long time. Menlo was an interesting place because Bill Snyder, not Bill Snyder, excuse me, Bill Walsh, because of the proximity to San Francisco, because the proximity to Stanford, right? Because you're one mile down the street from Stanford, and you're not far from Santa Clara and all that stuff. Um, Bill Walsh would send some of his coaches, his younger coaches, or not younger coaches, but guys who had done play in the league, mm-hmm. learn how to coach. They'd send them to Menlo to kind of just learn because coaching is very obviously very different than playing. And go learn how to coach. And See if you like it too. See if you like it. So at Menlo. It was fascinating because my first game that I ever called, I still remember this to this day. Now, Bill Walsh would be around. I mean, he was. A, I mean, I'm not saying he was a total fixture every day, but he would he would come by. Uh, Bill son Craig, I think is his name. He was the athletic director at Menlo right before I had come on board. He had just left, I believe. Um, so he was very familiar with the program. And at the time, before that, Menlo was actually a junior college that fed into Stanford. It was actually a feeder <laughs> junior college for Stanford. Anyway, so point being is on the, my first game calling plays. Here I am. All I've ever wanted to do is call plays, right? And we're playing McMurray College out of te- McMurray University out of Texas in, at our place up in Menlo, up in Atherton. And on the sideline, you've got 
Bill Walsh. And you've got guys like, you know, and I don't know if they were all there that game, but they right. had been there at different points in time. But yeah, but Bill Walsh was there in that very first game that I called. And he had like, you know, Jerry Rice and these other guys would show up for games and stuff. Um, and I remember to this day, we're and we're up, I don't know, maybe 14-7, something like that. And Guy McIntyre comes to me at halftime and says, hey, Bill says you need to run the toss to the left or something to that effect. And I'm like, we don't even have it in. And Guy looks at me and goes, well, I'm just telling you what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I did at halftime? I drew it up. I taught the quarterback real quick how to how to do the toss, and we did it. And I don't know if it went for any yards or right. whatever, but I'm sorry, Bill Walsh tells you to do something at halftime. I'm doing it. Yeah, what he sees, <laughs> he sees something. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I don't know if that was exactly how it went down, but it was something to that effect where he said, "Do this to guy," and guy told it to me, and I'm like, "I'm gonna get that done." So it was fun. In your heart of hearts, you look back now, were you ready to call those plays as a play caller as you are today? Do you look back and go, boy, Gary, I, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> here's, what I'll, here's what I'll tell you. I was as ready as I was ever going to be. Okay. At um, that stage, that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, now, how was that week prepping for it or the month or the year? Like you're, It's a different so thing. So I've been prepping for that. I had... Okay, so this is interesting. I had my own playbook. I encourage all my coaches and I all the players who play for me who want to go into coach. I tell them it's the same thing. Always have your own playbook. Okay. Okay. Now, what what Kanab, Mark Kanab, what he said to me was, you are running what we tell you to run. In other words, you're running. This is our playbook. And what it was was it was Bill Walsh's 49er playbook. Okay. So it was red right 22 ZN. It was, you know, green right 96 power or whatever. You know, yeah, it was all his terminology. Because as he would come around and hang out, everybody could talk ball, but all of us were on the same page with language, with communication. So when he was talking about a play, I knew what the play was. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, because so, vernacular, the whole thing has to, if you're not on the same page, oh, it's very confusing. To, to this day, one of our big programming, our big things is communication. Just you have to communicate. And so you got to you got to agree on a set of terms. And you know this, the same play could be called four different ways by four different programs. So I went through this epiphany at one point where I was trying to trying to figure out if I should shorten the names of my plays or not, because we were using, you know, flip, double wing, right, zebra, counter, motion, fake, nine, six, counter, zebra, screen, left. Then I'm like, well, there's the way some things work. And my dad, I remember talking about, again, I bring up my dad, but my dad's like, look, you can either have 15 words or 11 words to tell 11 guys what to do, or you can have one word to tell all 11 guys what to do. You have to figure out what's in the best interest. That's coaching. Right. Right. You have to figure out what works best for you, kind of thing. And so, but yeah, so he so when when we would have issues where we had we had to be on the same page with verbiage. Now, what I will tell you was I was not ready. You asked a question about was I ready? I was not ready to manage the clock and I was not ready for certain situations that I learned over time that I wasn't ready for. And see, that comes with some gray hair, am I right? Oh my gosh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly it comes from screwing up a lot of things. I tell people all the time. Um, you know, I'll call, I'll call almost a hundred plays in a game right now. Um, and I tell players all the time, I'm good for three bad calls a game. Like, don't worry. I'm going to screw up three calls. Right. Like, it's just a bad, that was just a bad call. Um, but it's a gamble situation, right? It it's is. what you're calling, what it they is. call the day change. You're like, ah, damn it. And the, then the worst thing is to know that you weren't prepared for something though. Um, and I'll give you an example. You get towards the end of a, end of a game or end of a half and you are on the 35 yard line a little too far to kick. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you call in that? And you got a And you got a fourth and seven. What do you call in that situation? How are you prepared for that? Because there's what What I've learned in football is there's a lot of how do you 
plan and prepare for the things you don't have time to practice. Because ultimately the time is finite. We all have the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. How do, how do, how do you, how do you spend your time in practicing for everything? And at this level, the community college level, I don't get, you know, we just had a player sign with Purdue today. He came in July. So I'm having to teach him a whole offense from July into August. We start our first game in September. How do I, how do I have it? So that's what I'm constantly worried about, constantly thinking through. Um, yeah. So. In, in like I've I've talked to coaches. They say I'm clock managing, literally like at eight nine minutes. Oh, into, not doubt. not the last two minutes. Oh, without because doubt. if I can run my clock down at the eight minute mark, they oh. they might only get one possession yeah. if I if they if they score yeah. and I get the ball back. Yes. Yes. Everybody's thinking yes. you're you're thinking clock management yes. in the last two minutes after. No. 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 no, no. If you're doing math right in your head, you're starting very early. Because you're not thinking about time as much as you're thinking about possessions. Right. And that's the difference between the fan who's watching the game and sees the clock at the bottom and a coach who is thinking about the number of possessions. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. That's what. That's how I think. That's where I'm and sitting Today here, you think. Today I do. Yeah. I didn't before. Right. You're right. I didn't. Be, when I first became a coordinator, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. But yeah, what, what got you over that hump to be like, okay, <laughs> we got to work on some things, Gary. A lot of calling games. You know, I'll, I'll tell you this. Here, here's what, oh, man. Getting your 10,000 hours in? Yes. Thank you very much. 100%. Exactly. And I think about this all the time to, to that point right there. Um, 20 years of calling plays, 10 games a year, that's 2,000 games, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, roughly about 20 years. Is that right? 20, 20 games 200. a year, 200 games. 200 games of calling plays times 80 plays in a game. I'm going to do all the math. That's how many plays I've called. Well, I think about this all the time because all the different scenarios and situations that I've come across, and I've seen this happen at the Division One level, when a guy becomes gets his first coordinator job, and he wasn't really ready, and a guy head coach gives him the coordinator job because he was with that guy, and he I can trust him and all that stuff. I get it. You can trust him. Great. Does he know? Does he really know what he's doing though? Right. So I've watched a lot of I've I've watched a lot of guys, um, and this is the beauty of having a dad who's a coach. We sit and when we sat and watched games, we didn't watch them as fans. I've never watched a game as a fan. I've only watched a game to break it down. Right. My son absolutely hates it. My wife drives her nuts. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I I do the same thing. I'm sure your family's just like, can you sit down? Yes. My dad, my my brother, or my my, excuse me, my son, dad, quit call, I'm calling power. I'm doing exactly what my dad did. Oh, there's power. Oh, there's counter tray. Oh, there's this. There's that. Oh, curl flat. They got it. When my here, wife here, and here I comes have... the, here comes the blitz. My wife's like, how do you? you when it. my wife and I first started dating, she wanted to know why I knew who on defense that guy's name was always Mike and there was always yeah. Will. <laughs> she's like, how do you know? You know, how do you know them? I'm like, no, that's Mike. And she's like, what are you talking about? Oh, let me right. okay. Hold on a second. Let me explain it to you. Right, right. His name's actually not Mike, yeah. but he's the Mike. And right. Now right. she looks at the defense. She's just like, I can't believe they didn't bring Sam yeah. down. They'll crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're bringing someone across. <laughs> she's got her thirty years in. That's right. exactly it. <laughs> right. I, so I can't imagine. I'm looking at these guys. I, I remember a specific instance, and I won't go into who it was or where, where exactly it was. <laughs> oh but come I, on, no one's listening. I, I, I talked to a Big Ten coach. I went to the practice, and it was in spring. He just gotten hired, and he he came up to me. I was speaking at his clinic, and he said, um, what did you think of practice? 
Because one thing about being a head coach is you gravitate towards other head coaches. You really do. It's fascinating. I've, I've learned this. It's a whole – when you sit in a big chair or you're a head coach, it, it's a totally different world. It's a very lonely place, and it's a totally different world. And um, that's why coaches, even if you may think they're the biggest arch rivals, they're not. I promise you they have a lot of private conversations right. where you don't realize how close they really are. Yeah. I'm just telling because you. Because there's only they understand. Yes. Whether it's Mississippi, it's, Mississippi State, Texas, Texas, any of them, they just change the names, change the faces of the players, and they're dealing with all the exact same stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, change the boosters. Change, it's all the right. same stuff. You know, kind of, was it different crap, different, same day, yep. different crap kind of yep. thing? It's the same kind of idea. It and, is. And so, um, um, anyway, so he came up to me and he said, what'd you think? I go, your offense looks very disjointed. And what he had done is he hired co-coordinators at the time mm. and there was a power struggle they were having and I just said you guys look really disjointed on offense like just the way you were going about some things and he didn't say it but he was like yeah I think I know what you're talking about he knew it but he, he just didn't it. say it. he knew it because yeah. he was trying to be loyal to people right. and giving them jobs they weren't really qualified to do at that time if that makes sense. Yes. And I, and I just said, I said, I, I, and I told him, I said, I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but I, you looked at, it was just the two of us. We were private. Yeah, so right. I said, just, you look, it looked disjointed. And that can be very dangerous for yeah. a coach's career. Sure. Because he can lose it because those offensive coordinators are nipping at each Eventually other. Eventually he did. Yeah. I'll just say that. Right. Eventually and you wouldn't, and you wouldn't do that though, if you were a surgeon and you had two anesthesiologists right. going at it. Right. Hey. Right. Make a decision. Right. right. We got a body here. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So he put people in positions that they weren't really ready for. Yeah, I know why he did. I understand. And trust me, I understand the coach's loyalty yes. and all that kind of stuff. And you see it in regular business or whatever. But at the same time, if you're hiring someone to do a job, they either have the cap- capabilities, or they don't, or they can grow into it and they have the potential, or they don't. Right. And you got as a leader, you got to evaluate all that. Anyways, yeah. so when you're learning your ten thousand hours yeah. as that play caller, yeah. When did you start to feel like you were getting a little better and you were getting some gray hair to understand, like, okay, I can manage the clock a little better. Yeah. I know when to call that play. Not because I like it, but when to call it. And you're reading their tendencies. Yeah. Um, they're doing what they, they're doing something different that I didn't see on film. Yeah. You know what was fascinating was when I was at Menlo, we were independent. So we had to find our all our own games. Oof, and so you're kind of, yeah. Um, so we were, that, that was my first experience into flying places because we flew to all the road games, which is bas- uh, just, just fascinating because we were the only team in Northern California. So we flew, they, and they just sent Stroud their football program. Mm-hmm. So we flew down here to Southern California. We fly the Pacific Northwest. We flew to Texas, whatever. That was fascinating. Um, but we had different, almost different opponents each year, right? Sure. So not, you so don't have no conference. We, don't, we were not in a conference. We were independent. So then I go to Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is, you want to talk about an unbelievably beautiful campus. Holy, right on Lake Michigan. Holy cow, it's unbelievable. Um, but I go there. And then, so to your point, we're, now I'm in a conference that is one of the strongest in all of Division Three, And we're playing the same teams year over year. And they're doing the same thing I'm doing, which is research and figuring things out. That's when it got a little tougher. That's what I realized. Because they started to know who I was. And I better adjust a little more and I better do some things. And so that affected how I called plays and that affected tendencies and whatnot. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's, it does. that's when, so my gray hair moment more occurred in 2004, five, six, 2006 was more of like, 
I need to start adjusting. I need to start adopting. I need to start changing a little bit. It wasn't about calling the specific plays. It was more about I need to make some bigger changes. And we had graduated a ton of seniors who had done really well those two years, and you started realizing. So that's when I had the kind of that – it's not just about calling plays. It's about just really making sure. And I thought I had done a good job of this, putting guys in the right position, but maybe I need to dig a little deeper. And whereas at Menlo, these were one-off games, or maybe we might've played them back to back, but I was only there two years. Now I go to Carthage and I'm playing the same teams every year. And not only that, I'm in the same living rooms. I'm in the same high schools, recruiting the same kids. And we're going, I mean, it's and recruiting Chicago is nasty. It's there's so many schools recruiting Chicago and you're just in there hammered it out and so there's all these other things that come into play wow and so that's that was so you ask about my kind of my yeah moment of I don't know, epiphany or whatever you want to call it that's kind of when it was it was probably 2000 so about five years after i started calling was i need this is not the players this is me i need to make an adjustment here on and it wasn't big stuff that's right the thing it wasn't just big. little things just little things and those add up they add up they add even up. if it's a little two percent here two percent here all correct. of a sudden you're up to 20 percent i had no idea correct Correct. And I think I've always, I think just having my dad, who's my coach, who as much as I, I kind of put him up on this pedestal, right. He had no problem knocking me off that dang pedestal. Like he, he, he would not let me be up. Like my head would get big. I remember playing here or coaching here at Fullerton. My first game, we played orange coast and we beat him like 35 points and I'm fired up. And I think I'm just the, the, the coolest thing since sliced bread. And, and my dad, and we, I think we might've been a bigger win than that. My dad just goes, that's all right you'll lose as many by that same score. And eventually, sure, that's exactly, you just, right. days where you just got your butt whooped. And, mm-hmm. and so anyway, so. It happens. It happens, but you learn all these things along the way, yeah. When you took that head coaching position, no, I'm sorry, the yeah. offensive coordinator position, mm-hmm. did you get to bring in your own offense you wanted to run? Or when, did you stay with what they had? Yeah, so when I was at Menlo, I had to use their offense. Okay, when I went to Carthage. And what was that? It was the true West Coast. What you saw with Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Bill Walsh, it was that offense. Okay. Kind of a split back offense. Yeah. Um, that that's I still have a lot of the same philosophies. Um, and it was very similar to actually what my brother ran here with Marv Sampson under Sherbeck and all that kind of stuff. So okay. similar, similar stuff. So I was very familiar with it. But the terminology, I had to run their stuff. When I went to Carthage as the offense coordinator, that head coach was like, I'm hiring you to do a job. You better win. And what'd you bring? Uh, you I brought that there? same offense. Okay, I brought so you that brought same that offense. There. Yeah. So I, then that's what, and we and we did really well. Now you might like there we had a, uh, a running back who was an all American, and so it was more like okay, well you're going to run the ball a little more because this guy's a stud. And that's in you Wisconsin, know? right? That's in Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 How so, was that? Loved it. Loved it. I'd move back to Wisconsin in a heartbeat right now. I loved it there. Was that a, is that a private school? Yeah. So all these schools are all private schools. Yeah. Yeah. They're all private schools and. Um, it was school about 20, how many students we have? Maybe, maybe 2,500, 3,000 students. It's a small, small college. Yeah. Wow. Well, Menlo was even small. We had 140 football right, players. Yeah. It was 500 students, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, so I got familiar with these small colleges and then, yeah, so I went out to Carthage. It was, it was unbelievable. And let me tell you another funny housing story. So we're talking about how we talked about the stadium, right? Oh, I didn't tell you about Menlo. I lived in the head coaches. Uh, uh, he had, a, he owned a, a condo and I lived in there so by the time, and he wasn't paying me anything. So by the time I left, I owed him about $6,000 in back rent. <laughs> Jesus. Now, thankfully, his wife is an absolute angel and total sweetheart. So I moved to Carthage, and my, I think that first year I was making 45000 So I go from seven to 45000 I'm thinking I made it. I'm thinking, hey. That's a whole other tax Oh, bracket. my gosh. My exactly. God. Wait, wait, taxes. We got to pay taxes now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I go there. 
This is the funny part. I get my first paycheck. I, half of it goes right to, I sent to Maria, Mark's wife, Kanapu's wife. And I, the first two paychecks, I just, you know, whatever it was, three paychecks, whatever, I just sent it out. I paid that off right away. So that was the housing situation there. I go to Carthage and I'm, I get hired in uh, January. Um, and I'm kind of a, it's, it's, and that's a whole how interview, how I, how I got hired for the interview is fascinating. You want to talk about coaches going on a limb. They had already interviewed two head coaches, two, jo- two coaches in December for the job. Um, one of them was a guy named Tim Lester, who was the head coach of Western Michigan for the last few years, whatever. Uh, good dude. Um, and uh, he took another job. So he wasn't, then the second guy they hired, I guess they didn't, it wasn't a fit or whatever. And that was in December. So now they're in January and they still don't have an offensive coordinator. And all the recruiting's going on. And I told you, Chicago, recruiting Chicago is a big deal. There's a lot of colleges out there recruiting, but you don't have a, you don't have a coordinator, you don't know who's calling plays. Head coach on his own meets with people at the at the Natural Coaches Convention down in Orlando, and I flew out there. And of course, I Mark and Maria, I slept on their. Uh, they had a pull out couch, <laughs> and I slept on that in their in their in, in Orlando at the at the hotel, um, <laughs> because I couldn't afford. Right, I, I couldn't afford. I bought the plane ticket. I couldn't afford anything else, um, and um, and. I go and I interview with him and he says, so later on he calls me uh, the next couple of days, calls me, said, I'd like to bring you out for an interview on, you know, we'll call it Wednesday. This is next Wednesday. So in like four or five days. And I go, okay. I said, perfect. I got, <laughs> I got no life. I got nothing going on. Let's go. And so he flies me out. What I didn't know was that he unilaterally made the decision to fly me out and not tell the athletic director, the vice president or the president who were all very involved in our football program. Didn't tell anybody. So I show up there. Uh, he picks me up from the airport. He, he says, hey, by the way, to those people, because he sends me an agenda. I'm like, okay, I'm meeting with all these people. Figure, typical thing. He calls all of them that the day before and says, by the way, our meeting tomorrow, I'm bringing in a candidate. Here's his resume. The president was up in arms, just absolutely livid. He was like, you can't do this and this. And, and fast forward, I get there. <laughs> here I am. This guy. Yeah, here, here I am. It's, it's, it's early Mid January, let's call it like the fifteenth or so of January, and I I go down get a cup of coffee in the morning and I spill on my tie. So I'm like, oh man, what do I do? Spill coffee because I'm an idiot. And what do I do? I just take the tie off, and I just so I interview the whole day without a tie on. Well, everybody's thinking, oh, I'm in Wisconsin. You're the cool guy from California. Not they wearing a tie. Kind of, kind of make, yeah, kind of makes sense, right? And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm really, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm really not a yeah. cool guy from California. Um, so, so I interview and it goes really well. And it's and I now I don't know all this, right? So I don't know the backstory. So I remember sitting and he takes me up. To, I meet with all these people. The athletic director, phenomenal guy named Bob Bond. He's passed away now, but um, I go up and I and I and he picks me up and then we go through this series of people that you meet, which is pretty typical. And then I go to meet with the president and the president tells the um, president tells. Tim, he goes, hey, just this won't take very long because he was mad. He was mad that the head coach just went and did this on his own. He said, this won't take very long. It was supposed to be like a 20 or 30 minute meeting. 90 minutes later, I walk out of there. And so, you know, I told him, I, you know, we just we had a great conversation. It was phenomenal. And um, anyways, I go back down. I meet with some other people, whatever. And by the time I kind of finished the day with the athletic director and he said, hey, the president's never done this before and i go what's that he goes he called down here and said if he's the guy hire him don't let him leave today without you know making sure he takes the job and um i was flattered by that i was like that's awesome and so anyway so i go back and i said i told him i said look i'm pretty sure i want the job there's nothing i don't know why you guys aren't already winning here this is flooring me i just can't i don't get it 
So my thing was, my dad was going to be up in the Bay Area where I, where I was living. He was going to be up in the Bay Area on that Friday. So I'm flying back on Friday now, Friday morning. <laughs> I said, if my dad's asking me questions that I can't answer, then I'm going to have more questions for you. But I think I've got all the answers. Let me talk to him. So I call. So I said, I'll call you Saturday morning. And sure enough, I talked to my dad. We had a long talk about it all. And he, I answered all his questions. And that was my litmus test, right? Mm-hmm. If I if mm-hmm. he's asking me things and I don't I, and I just say I don't know, that's a red flag. Sure. So I end up saying, yeah, we're good. And and so I call on Saturday and say we're good. So I, I end up driving out like literally like a week later. They just started school. They they had their enrollment had grown so much that they had this uh, they had this hotel that they it was right on the harbor there in Kenosha that they rented out the top two floors. So it's a four-story deal. So they had third and floor floor for college students. So they're older college students because of the overflow. And it's a half mile from campus. So they said, hey, we can put you up in there for, for until you find an apartment. I'm like, cool. <laughs> so I go. And now, mind you, I get out there. And they've already been recruiting for it. They've had visit dates, all stuff. Their, their coach has been on the road. So I'm like, well, I got to get on the road, too. I got to go see our targeted recruits. So I, I, get, in the, I get in the hotel. And I just started living there. Nobody kicked me out. Nobody did anything for that first for that for that semester. Now you're they moved in in January. They go through May. Right. So finally, in May, I get a knock on the door, and it's the RA because they're college kids. You know, they're living. Sure. There, and, I, and I don't ever see them. They're off doing their own thing. And I'm just sleeping there, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, because I'm on the road recruiting. And she goes, "Hey, uh, you know, we're all moving out this weekend. You got to move out." I'm like, "Is this weekend?" <laughs> so I lived there for four months, five months. Rent free. Nobody knew I was there. Just kind of, kind of wrote. Ghost. I just ghost. I was just kind of writing it out. Um, so I went and got an apartment, and yeah. But so talk about these living situations that they've just been kind of fun. That just yeah. But that's part of an interesting like life in athletics. Yeah. People don't understand. Yeah, they don't. They don't understand. Like so. So why would you take a job that pays five thousand dollars? Well, I think now sitting here, many years later, I have the best job in America at Fullerton College. I, I do. I really do. These jobs are unbelievable. They're great jobs. I get my football fix. I'm working with great kids. I'm working with my staff is awesome. Um, one of the things about Calm Place, let me backtrack a little bit, that I really I, I is not lost on me is because I never had this, I want to go D1. I want to be the biggest. I want to. I, I just never had, to me, coaching was coaching just because I saw my dad do mm-hmm. it, right? There were so many things I got to do. I was a, I was as a coordinator. I was a D three coordinator, right? Which everybody thinks D three, and in Southern California, D three is not quite the same as it in the when you go to the Midwest or back east. Division three is a much bigger, right. bigger endeavor, right? Um, we had kids go to the Browns. We had kids go to the Bears. We had kids going to the pros. Um, There's a lot more too of those schools, lower level D three schools on the Midwest East Coast than there are out here. So just in the state of Illinois. There's 22. Right. Just know right. You go to Wisconsin, okay, so just over the border in Wisconsin, there's about 20. Cross over the border in Minnesota, you got about 15. Cross over the border in Iowa, you've got a, probably about 15. You go to Indiana, now skip Illinois, go back to Indiana, you've got about probably 15. You go to Michigan, you've got probably about 18 of them. So I'm just saying right. that, that concentrate because they don't have the community college system like we do out here. Right. It's, it's, it's night and day. It's yeah, totally what do we have different. out here? Chapman? Yeah, you have Chapman and you have, you have Chapman, you have Laverne, you have Redlands. There's some, I mean, they're good okay. programs. They're still own, playing right? football in but, Laverne uh, yeah. today. But, yes. I'm yeah. looking at my watch. Yeah, they, knows? <laughs> yeah. But on the national level, on the national scale, that conference is ranked pretty low. Mm-hmm. It just is. And, right. and it is what it is, right? It's not to say they don't play hard and not to play, say the kids don't play hard and all that stuff, but, they just play on a lower level in terms of 
that ranking, if you're going right. to rank all the conferences, it just is what it is. One of the things that calling all those plays at Division Three level for a long time, you know, we're not on ESPN. No. You know, we I, there was a couple times we actually made ESPN, which is kind of cool, but – uh, but we're not, you know, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not a coach at USC where every, if I make a call, it's getting overly screwed, overly scrutinized. Right. So I got to make a lot of mistakes in front of, and we still drew three or 4,000 every game, but I got to make football mistakes that nobody really ever noticed. There's a lot of comfort in that. Does that make sense? Yes. Because now you can get scrutinized wherever you're at in real time on mm-hmm. Twitter. Right, just boom, yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. And they're recording, and they're putting it out there. I can't believe you called this. Yeah. Jesus, it's only second down, third play, relax. Seattle Seahawks, Super Bowl, Patriots. Mm-hmm. That one-yard line is still talked about all the right. time when they threw an interception and should just hand it to Marshawn yeah. Lynch. They talk Run about it the all ball. the time. All yeah. the time it's being talked about. He just got let go a couple weeks ago. That's all they talked about. Yeah. He would have two, two of them yeah. if he just would have ran the yeah. ball. Nobody's saying that about me. Because <laughs> nobody knows about me. Right? But the interesting thing so about there's there's a comfort level in that anonymity to be able to try things and do things and not be scared to. Why well, I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, let's give it a shot. What's right. the worst that happens? It screws up and then it doesn't work, and we just go. Well, well, let's never do that again. That's the comfort level. You do that at the four year level, at the main, the, the highest levels, or in the NFL, you're losing a job. Sure, you're crushed. Nobody, nobody was ever going to fire me over a bad play call. Right. But that's the crazy thing about athletics we're talking about football where they talk about that last drive for them seattle going down he throws the ball yeah. to malcolm brown or yeah, butler or yeah. whatever butler yeah no one talks about though the other maybe 20 or 40 other plays in this first quarter second quarter third quarter right. that changed whether yes. they got a first down right. or they went for the field goal they should have had a touchdown right. like you just live on that last play i'll give you a perfect example everybody's everybody's riding on dan campbell uh, for the Lions for not kicking a oh. field goal, they're up thirteen. They're up. They're up fourteen. This is where you start talking right. possessions, right? And they go for it. They don't get it. They go down and score. They go up. If they kick it and they make it, you're up three possessions. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't get it. They drive down and score. Now you're only up one possession when that is over, right? But what people and people are all over him about that. But they're not in that game if he's not taking those kind of chances all year. That's right. Because he did. He did exactly what he done all year. So there's some. That they're looking at this little itty bitty one play sample size. When if you look over the course of 16, 17, 18 games, this is this is who they were. So let's not lose sight of that. And that's the balance of coaching, right? Is being able to say, you know what? No, like just him being able to say, I would do it again. It didn't work out. So be it. And there is no guarantee. No. What if poor <laughs> Buffalo wide right? They yep. missed the full field goal. What if it gets blocked? Yep. What if, you know, there's yep. so many things yep. that can go wrong. There is no guarantee you yep. make any field yep. goal. This isn't the PATs of the 80s where it was like eight feet away. Well, yeah, where it was guaranteed. Right. Yeah. Oh, it was ridiculous. Like 99.9% or whatever. That's exactly it. And that's where like the, the, the you know, what is it? Idiot and genius. It's a thin line between the two. Yeah. Sometimes because, they intertwine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's such a thin margin for error at that level. Um, it, it's still a thin margin for error at our level, but... It's not nearly as thin as it up as it is up there, right? Um, but that's why all the games are pretty much decided by three points or less, right? Right. So. Well, you don't get playoff games. It's very rare mm-hmm. that are forty-five nothing blowouts. No, exactly, exactly. It just doesn't happen. Exactly. It's not. It's not set up for that. It's not set up that way. Um, with salary caps, with 
the draft. It's not set. It's set up for parity. It's yes. it the the NFL is actually set up for the league for everybody in the league to go five hundred. Right. That's how it's set up. Yeah. It's not like baseball. No. Yeah. Oh, no. The Oakland oh, yeah. A's are not totally going to flip a switch next year, right. and all of a sudden they win one hundred and twenty right. games and they win it. It's not. It's but not in, at all. But you could be Cleveland, who was yep. a dog three years ago. Yep. They're in the playoffs, yep. or yep. you know, Detroit, yep. same way. Yep. That's why Moneyball is one of the great greatest movies, and I don't know how accurate a lot of that stuff is, but if you take if you look at the standpoint of this is what we've been doing and it's not going to work, how do we, like my dad said, how do we be different but be great? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's I love that movie. And I yeah. watch that movie all the time. I watch it with my son just because it's a it trains you on how to think right, how to yes. think in a in a manner that is going to allow you to be successful in spite of your in spite of your. Your obstacles. Yeah. That, got just that scene where he's sitting in with the scouts who have the same mentality yep. of 40 years yep. and the people oh. that taught them had the same mentality yep. for those 40 years. Yep. And you go, guys, it's not yep. working. Yep. It's exactly. Take a look around. It's yep. exactly. It's <laughs> <just> not working. <laughs> and that's what you got to figure it out. Yeah. And that's what, like when I worked for Speckman, his whole, his whole motto was figure, the guy had no hands. How do you tie your shoe? How do you, how do you order a steak dinner? Uh, we went to, I remember this, uh, I still remember, like, there's little things that I remember that have influenced my coaching career, right? Like, th- we're sitting, at, we go to we go to visit, him and I drove down to the University of Oregon and visited with um, Jeff Tedford, who at the time was the offensive coordinator at, at the University of Oregon. Mm-hmm. We sat and chatted with him all day, just talked ball. It was phenomenal. And then him and I go to lunch, just Speckman and I go to lunch, and he goes, can I get a steak? You know, he orders a steak. Can you have that cut up for me? It came out pre-cut. I'm like, well, that's pretty smart. You know, I have hands. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think to order it that way, right? You know, he has. I'm looking. He has shoelaces. Well, his shoelaces are kind of the stringy kind that automatically kind of zip mm-hmm. back, and they're always right. kind of tied. Just things that his whole motto is figure it out, right? And you know, those are the things that kind of influence, have influenced my coaching. You know, is just that kind of stuff where you watch people. Just it's not. It's not what they do all the time. It's how are they thinking. Because to me, how are you looking at a problem? How are you trying to problem solve? How are you critically thinking? How are you, how are you going about? What is this you're trying to do? And that's why I say the same thing my dad told me a long time ago still hits me hard every single day. It's okay to be different, but be great. Well, if you're up, if you're trying to do things like you said, those 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 eight, um, those scouts, they've been doing it the same way for forty years, and it can't be that way. Right. You're not there anymore. You have other things. So how do you figure it out? How do, what do you got to do? So yeah, anyways, everybody else is evolved and you're not. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so the T-Rex I, I, had its time. It's, ex- it's exactly. <laughs> it. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, one of the things that, that it's funny when you start talking about evolution, one of the things that really impacted me, cause I, you know, I'm at Carthage and I'm, and I'm, and I'm still that guy. And, and I met my wife there and she understood. She got me. She she had a daughter already. So she and she looked me in the eye. And I remember having this conversation. I said, and I told her point blank. I said, Look, I'm. Just, I, I just need you to know, like football is my priority. And she says, This this will work out great. And I go, What do you mean? She goes, Because that little girl is my priority. Her daughter that she had already had, right? Olivia. Um, now my daughter, obviously. But um, and I said, Well, this will be. You're right. This will work out great because we didn't. We kind of knew what we each other stood for, mm-hmm. right? So then fast forward as we we had our other daughter Hayden there in Wisconsin and then we moved down to Illinois and I take the head job down there. And I remember my wife taking my daughter, I remember it's a Sunday, and my wife took my daughters to 
pumpkin patch. One of the cool things about living in the Midwest, when you go to a pumpkin patch, you go to a real pumpkin patch. Yeah, right. You're not going to pumpkin patch in the in the parking <laughs> lot of Kramer. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, whatever, yeah. No. Totally. Just because they bring in some hay doesn't mean it's a farmland pumpkin patch. Yeah, that right? poor sheep and old goat that doesn't make it a fine. No. Yeah. So so they go so they go to the pumpkin patch and they and they and she comes back, she says, Hey, look at the pictures. And she starts showing me the pictures. And I go, That's awesome. And I start realizing one thing. I'm not in any of the pictures. Right. Okay. There's a single mom. Basically, yeah. yeah. And, and it was the joke, oh, a single mom during the season, all that kind right. of stuff. And, and I, I always thought that was funny and this and that. And the other. But I'm like, wait a second. What am I missing, though? I'm missing out on some stuff. Okay. And I went to our staff the next week and I said, look, we're going to finish out this season. We're going to keep meeting every Sunday. Because that's what coaches do. We meet every Sunday. People don't realize how much we are in the office. It's mm-hmm. absolutely bonkers. Um, and I remember, I remember me and my staff, and I said, look, before next season, okay, before next season, we need to figure out a way because we starting next season, we're not meeting on Sundays. Outside of an occasional, we got to just fix something happen. We got to right. fix it. Okay, things come up, whatever. But, I mean, I'm talking about on a regular basis, we're not going to meet as a staff on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock like we normally do or 10 o'clock or noon or whatever it's going to be. And everywhere I've been, we've done that, okay? We need to figure this out. Sure enough, huddle huddle starts to become a big deal for the for the video software mm-hmm. to be able to film practices and games and stuff. And then I end up hiring another guy, and he ends up bringing Google Docs. So now all of a sudden, we start figuring out these ways to use technology now to kind of get to what it is that I want to do. And then I'm watching, and I remember talking to somebody about it. I don't remember who I talked to. Um, and BYU had won a national title not working on Sundays. Those coaches didn't work on Sundays. They still won a national title. How, what? And then I, I had worked with another buddy who said, yeah, coaches are famous for just wasting a lot of time. And he was right. So then one of my buddies was the, the offense coordinator at Wheaton College, which was in the same conference as Carthage. And he was a great, Tim Hardy is a great guy. He's down in Georgia now. But so I, I'm talking to Tim and I go, Tim, you guys don't meet on Sunday because it's a very religious school. It's where Billy Graham mm-hmm. went and stuff. It's a very, it's, it's, it's a great, great institution. But he goes, no, we do not meet on Sundays. And if you say anything we need to cover, we'll cover on Monday. But his, they were always the leaders in the conference. They were always in the top. They were always in the top two in the conference. Wow. They, they were so phenomenally good. It was Augustana and them. And then, um, anyways, I go, how do you guys do it? So he starts telling me. He goes, well, we just do this. And if it's, it can't, Garrett, it can't be that important. It can't be that important. Like other things have, winning's important, right? The scoreboard and all that stuff, but it can't. And so he was just talking about your values, right? He was talking about what do you, what do you really believe in? And, so anyway, so and I still remember that to this day. And they were they won a lot. Um, we got them a few times, which was good. But <laughs> but but they won a lot as a program, right? And um, and I still remember that. And to this day, I still we I still don't meet on Sundays to the point where I met with Tim when I first when he first hired me. I said, Tim, I'm I'm just gonna tell you, I will come in on Sundays because my wife and kids are still back in Illinois for one season. They're still back because my daughter Olivia, by now, she was five when we started dating. Now she's a senior in high school, so. Um, I said, they're back there. So I'll meet on Sundays, but I'm telling you right now, starting next year, I'm not meeting on Sundays. And from that point on, we stopped meeting on Sundays here at Fullerton college. Now still get together. If a coach need, we got to do something, but and defense will meet a little more sometimes, but we, as an, as a, as a program, we don't meet on Sundays anymore. I just, and you, somehow you survived. Well, and then what I've heard, what I've heard through the grapevine is from other coaches, good coaches. They're mad because their coaches are expecting the same thing now. Sure. Okay, so what's the big deal? 
use technology to right. force, force other people to adjust. It's not always just on the field because here I'm, I'm hiring local coaches to come over, you know, after maybe they teach or whatever, they come and coach in the afternoon, coach tight ends or whatever. Well, if I'm, if I'm, if another coach wants to hire him and I want to hire him, but I say, Hey, you don't have to come in on Sundays. That's a day who, off. Who do you think they're going to come off? So th- those are the things that that started coming up, right? You, maybe I can't pay you more, but if you're not having to go on Sundays, aren't you happier? So that's the stuff we talk about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's one thing managing half of the team, offense. But when you take that job in Illinois, now you got to wear the big sombrero hat <laughs> yeah. and you got to manage, you yeah. got to lead the whole thing. Were you were you ready? I mean, it's one thing everybody's like, I want the job, but yeah. You said you were kind of ready for the offensive job. Were you ready for the whole job? No. Biggest mistake ever made. Really? Let me, let me explain it this way. When I say the biggest, it's the biggest blessing and biggest mistake at the same time. I was young. I, when I started coaching and I started calling plays when I was like 25, and I'm like, okay, now I want to be a head coach by the time I'm 30. I got in that mode a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I just want to – because, I, again, I never cared about moving up. I just cared about – you know, and I love the Division three levels of blast. What I didn't realize, you, when you're the head coach at a college – is you're not you're not just the head coach of the team. You are so important throughout the rest of the college, throughout the rest of the university. That's the part I wasn't quite ready for. As an assistant, you're shielded from a lot of that stuff. Intentionally, unintentionally, whatever it may be, you just don't you have no idea what the head coach deals with on a daily basis. Let me tell you a funny story. I get hired, and it was kind of a bad time to take a job, so maybe that has some impact on this. But I get hired in the middle of May. Um, I'd finished spring ball at Carthage, and I told them I wouldn't interview until I was done with spring ball. And, and thankfully, kind of timed up, and they kind of held it, whatever. And so I go down and interview, and I realize that okay, we can win here. This is you, we can actually. This is a place we can win. My wife actually went on the interview, and she saw it too. And um. I go down, so we we yeah we finished. I end up taking the job pretty quick. Move, I moved down there. They put me up in an apartment there on campus. Um, all the players are gone because school had ended. So all the players go home. Um, some some hang around. You know they still got their lease right. or whatever off campus or whatever. So there's probably about maybe 10, 12 kids around. Um, I show up my first day. The AD isn't there. The athletic director is not there. I don't have a key to my office. I don't. I told him I need. I need a laptop and a cell phone. I'm going at this. Let's go. I need this. This better be ready first day. I don't have anything. First day. I'm literally sitting outside my office at eight o'clock, just sitting on the ground outside my office. The secretary shows up about nine o'clock. And says, "Hey, how you doing? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. We're gonna have to do that. We're gonna have to get those keys, and we'll do this." And so they had nothing. Right? Not prepared at all. I am going through this day trying to figure all this stuff out. I remember, and, and now mind you, when I had gone to Carthage, I walked in on that morning. Here's your keys. Here's your laptop. Here's your, you know, we didn't, well, did we have cell phones? I don't know. We may have had cell phones at the time. But here is a stack of clothes. Go recruit. Like, go. You're gone. Like, go do your thing. I show up here, and it's just like, eh, we'll get to it. What kind of. <laughs> That was the part I wasn't ready for. It was the part that I was ready for all the football stuff, but what I wasn't ready for was the part that 
when there are issues, it's your job to change the culture. And it's your job to educate people on why you got to change the culture. So I called my dad and I said, Dad, I, I'm, I, I can't stay here. I got to leave. This is, place is messed up. Da, 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 da. I called my old boss. I said, hey, I want my job back. Now, mind you, my dad, my dad was like, you ain't going anywhere. You're staying right there. You took the job. You stay there. You get the job done. Which I appreciate that he told me that. But I appreciate now. Didn't at the time. Um, I call I call my old boss. I said, Tim, I want my job back. I said I can't do this. This is this place is messed up. I thought it could I thought it could be a great place. I'm not so sure anymore. He said I'm gonna have Bob, the athletic director. I'm gonna have Bob call you tomorrow, talk about it. But he's I'll let you back. I have no problem with it. Then big mistake. Then I call my wife because I hadn't talked to her about this stuff right. And I go, hey. I'm coming back. I can't do this. She said, I've already called Tim. I just think I already called Tim. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. I should be good to have my job back. And she said, BS, we already put the house up for sale. I've already had a yard sale to sell a bunch of stuff. We're already making plans. You took this job. You were, we are moving down there. Figure it out. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> and so then I talked to, I talked to Bob the next day. And Bob was like, look. And he said something that just absolutely hit me. And he said, he said, <clears throat> they hired you to change the culture. They hired you to change the culture. And then it took me back to, a, um, uh, and I don't know where I saw this, but I remember the story. I don't know if I read it, video, whatever, but I remember Barry Alvarez going to the University of Wisconsin and calling from Notre Dame, calling Lou Holtz and saying, I think I made a mistake. This place is way messed up. I can't believe it. And he goes, and Blue Holtz in that little lispy voice he's got goes, what did you think your jo- your first head coaching job was going to be at Notre Dame? He goes, look how many places I've been at before I got to here. Yeah. And so all this stuff kind of, but it was exactly what my dad was preaching to me. And my dad and I probably had 15 conversations in a 24-hour period about, about all this stuff. And that's the part, so I go back to it, that's the part I wasn't ready for, is when you are... I was prepared to handle all the football stuff, but so much of the job has nothing to do with football. Right. And that's what people don't understand. People standing in the sands have no idea. I wasn't ready at that point. Administrative meetings. Oh, my gosh. Budget things you have to handle. Yep. Look, at the end of the day, I told you, I started coaching here at Fullerton College for zero. Murphy got three years out of me for zero dollars. Right. I go to I go to Northern. I made a five thousand dollars stipend. I go to Willamette. I made a five thousand dollars stipend. I think it was my. Opinion. I go to Menlo. It's a seven thousand dollars stipend. So let's do the math. In those five years, six years, whatever that was, that's not a lot of money. No, <laughs> right? No. So I've done this job for way less money. Way below minimum wage. Way below minimum wage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could have worked at Home yeah, Depot. He's got an orange apron. Exactly. <laughs> there might have been some labor law issues. I'm not sure. We'll have to figure that out. But you know, but. I love the game. Can you imagine bringing that up? <laughs> <I know. laughs> My 13 cents an hour yeah, uh, is a Jesus. bit of an issue. Yeah. There's prisoners making fun right, of me. Right. <laughs> I could be making license plates for crying out loud. Ah. Um, so, so I just, but I just remember that being like, so that's Bill or not, Bob hit me on the head with, it's your job to change the culture. And what they don't realize is, was that something you just didn't think of? Or was it such a shock to you that, oh my God, this place is in such disarray, um, the way you perceived it, yeah. that you maybe were used to an absolute order, and they were a little kooky or <laughs> off, and they just, you know. I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's a little bit of, um, a little bit of, they were kooky, a little bit of, I was naive, um, and a whole lot of, they just didn't know any better, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, there are just places where, 
you know, I'll give you, I'll just give you a small example. And I remember Bill Snyder and I talked about this one time. Um, you know, we're, we're at Carthage in that first year. We win the conference title. So, and, and I, I told you, I think I'd made 45000 And I go in the AD's office, and, and, and so I'm not even there a whole year yet. And I, you know, at the, after the season, he sits down. He goes, hey, just we're giving you a 20% raise for winning the conference title and, and, and doing well and all that stuff. And, and I, I remember talking to Bill Snyder about that. I said, hey, they and he said, those are people who know what they're doing. And I just and it and and that that resonated with me, right? Like I understood it wasn't it wasn't the money, it was because they knew eventually I'd leave. They just didn't want me to leave right then, and right. that's what that money was yeah. for. It was more like we well, value, we value, we appreciate you. They know how to treat people well, and you treat people well. And so when I went down, in fact, <laughs> funny story was actually when I got offered the head job, they actually their offer was three thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars less than what I was currently making at Carthage, and I said, I said no. I said, I will not take a, take, take a pay cut to be a head coach. That's just stupid. Oh. Why would I want to take on? And so they ma- at least matched it. And, and, but With a 1,000% more responsibility. Yes. Holy Christ. Yes. And that's the part that people like. That's the part that. So the best conversations I've had with people have been. I, I remember one of the most impactful conversations I had as a head coach. I was sitting with our provost. So she's in charge of all the academics at the college I was at, at Illinois College. And. Just had a great week. Somehow we ended up in the dining hall at the same time after kind of the lunch rush. And she was at the table next to me. And I just kind of went over and I just, whatever, I just moved over and sat with her. We just started talking. We had a great conversation. And she just, it was a phenomenal conversation. But even in those moments, it's my job to kind of just educate her on what it is that I do and what it is, why it's so impactful to our to our student athletes, right? But at the same time, it's her job to educate me on what it is her, her people do and why it's so impactful as well. And it was just a great conversation back and forth. And that's the things that people people know we're busy as head coaches, but they don't understand what we do. Mm. They don't understand how tw- – they don't understand the phone calls that we get at crazy times. Um, they don't understand all that we deal with. Um, yeah, they just don't understand. Well, and, not the, and, and, and I'll say this. Not that I think any head coach expects other people to understand because every head coach has had the aha moment of when I took over as a head coach – Right. Holy crap, this job is way bigger than I thought. Sure. And it's it's a degree of it goes up when you're yeah. the when you're a position coach. Yeah. Your responsibilities here. Yep. Then maybe you move into another position, a little here. Yep. And then the coordinator here, yep. head coach, massive jump yes. and you're just like you have to do it in increments. So you're little so you can understand. Here. Yes. If so you, you went from position coach to like 2 years later being a head coach, what a train wreck. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. So as you make those moves, each time you make those moves, what you're really doing is the culture you're impacting is becoming a little bigger. Right. So is are you able to handle that change in the size of the impact that you're making? Right? Right. In other words, like to your point, like there are some coaches like Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh was not an offensive guard, not Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, John Harbaugh John, at the Ravens, right? Yeah. right? Been with the Ravens. I mean, how long has he been there? Probably 15 years. Yeah. He was never an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. He was a special teams guy and then became the head coach, which is a kind of an unusual route. Very. So his impact became, you know, can you handle it? Son of a coach, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the things that you realize is how is your impact. And so that's why some people get to jobs they can't handle. It happens. Yeah, it absolutely happens. You know, what's funny, what's funny in the football world is some guys – can go from being a position coach to jumping to be a head coach and not even and not even be a coordinator and actually have very good success at doing it. 
some people could go from coordinator to head coach and not be successful at right. all, but are great coordinators because that's their wheelhouse. That's their niche. Yeah, your strength. Does that make you got to yeah. know your yeah, strength. You and that goes back to what I was saying about that coach who hired those other guys. Mm-hmm. He didn't – He he, in my opinion, he failed those guys because he didn't really put them in a position to succeed. Right. When you're in Illinois now, do you start positioning yourself where you are hiring coaches yeah. and recruiting? Where does the culture change for you start to happen? Yeah. Other once you get, of course, your keys and your, yeah. your office <laughs> and your phone. <laughs> so what's funny is, so we go four and six. Effort. We're, fi- we're There's ten teams in the conference. We're picked to finish ninth out of the ten. We finished either fourth or fifth, something like that. It was pretty good. Like, we did way better than people expected. We went okay. four and six, which was the exact same record they had the year before. Um, and we either we either um, blew people out or we lost close. Mm-hmm. And they weren't doing that either. So they were just, whatever, it was all over the place. So it just told me that kids were buying in. Right? Were you calling offense too I, at that time? I, was, I pretty much was calling offense, yeah. I had another <sighs> gentleman who worked with me that I, I kind of gave him some of the responsibility because I was so busy that Richard Wurzel is the guy's name. I gave him some of the responsibility because I was so busy doing other things throughout campus that I had to really run the program. And that's what that's that's where I'm struggling even to this day, being the head coach and calling offense. I, I don't like it. I don't like doing both. Um, problem is I love calling the offense because it's my wheelhouse. It's what I've done for so long. It's what I love to do. But I'm also at the stage of my career where I, I see all the – the areas that we need to fix in our program to kind of just continue to have success for our players. And, um, but if I'm going to fix those areas, I got to give up this other part. That's, that's a hard part to look yourself in the mirror and, and, and figure it all out. Right. So, um, so anyway, so I'm, I'm coaching there and we go four and six the next year we go 500, 500. Um, and all of a sudden we're doing, we're getting better. You can see it. Like now I finally, cause I didn't have a first recruiting class cause I came in in May. Right. You're so late. Whoever showed up and whatever shape they're in is what we had. And so first recruiting class. Was that shocking in. when you see those guys and you're like, this is my horses? Yes, but I had some kids who loved football. Okay. So it it was okay, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, you, you knew, as a coach, you knew, okay, we're limited. But the passion was there. The kids loved it. They loved being a part of it. They loved, they were hanging on everything. So we were good that way, right? So it's it, basically what I'm saying is you had – you had the great foundation for a culture build is what okay. I had. Okay. Next year, our first recruiting class comes in. Um, we go five and five. Some of those freshmen are playing for us, which anytime you're playing freshmen, you're in big trouble at the four-year level. Mm-hmm. But we were playing a lot of them. The next year, we go five and five again. But we were five and three with two games left, and we were first place in the conference. They had never won the conference now, 100 years of football, over 100, this place has been playing football for a long, long time, and their overall record was 500. So they had never, they, the best record they ever had was 7-3. and three. The worst record they ever had was 3-7. and seven. So they'd never been bad. They'd never been great. They were always kind e- of, even Steven. Right. Yeah. And so um, so all of a sudden we're 5-5, five and five, but they had never won the conference. So we're now, we're, now we're first place with two games left. We ended up dropping the last two games, uh, which kind of sucked. Um because our kids were so jacked and so hyped up and all that stuff, but they knew, but they could see it. Because now we're basically a lot of sophomores, maybe some juniors. Um, and then the next year we went nine and one. And now so, those first three years, right? Those are your first three head coaching yeah. years. How are you getting better? Because it's one thing trying to get yep. players to get better, yep. coaching your coaching staff up, mm-hmm. but how is Garrett coaching yourself to get better? 
So that's a great question. Um, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I lost in that first year alone, that first season, I lost 25 pounds. Jesus. Yeah. Um, my quarterback's dad would always check on me. It was pretty funny. Mitch's dad, uh, Randy Neekamp, was just, he's a he's a pig farmer from central Illinois, and he'd come up to me and he, Gary, we got to get you some food. His wife would make food, and they'd bring it to the – anyways, it was just phenomenal. But you were missing out on those great. nachos and oh, soda. Yeah, I was, yeah. I didn't have a key to the concession stand anymore. Um, but I was so worried, and I'm a warrior by nature. Like, I may not outwardly always project it, but I am a – you know, I always joke with the players because they're like, how do you stay so calm? And I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of like a duck. Like, you, what you see above the water is not what's going on below the water, right? right? And um, – Mass chaos. It Whoa. is. It is. It, and, and I have all the thoughts, and I'm and my stomach's running, my heart's racing, and, and the stress is going up. Anyways, um, so I'm what I'm doing is I'm just I started realizing okay I just got to be I I had to the first thing I did and I told the coaches this was we are sticking to our values. This is what we believe in, and at that time we believed in faith, courage, class, and that was our mottos, our, our value pillars of our program, and um, just faith in each other, courage to get through everything, and then have the class that we're going to do everything in a first-class manner as best we can, you know, especially relationships, um, and we stuck to those, and the kids really bought into that, and, we, and my big thing was to develop leaders. So how do you develop leadership? Well, you put them in stressful situations, you educate them, you show them how they're growing, doing all those kind of things. So I now the next thing I know, those freshmen who are playing for us as they're growing, as they're maturing, they're not just becoming better players. They're becoming better leaders because those now are the guys who are impacting the class behind them and the class behind them. And that was the big thing. And so now all of a sudden when we're playing and we're doing things, all of a sudden these guys are like, they're, they're, they're showing them, no, this is how we do it. When we're here, this is how we work out. When we're here, this is how we practice. This is how we go about. This is how we dress on the road. This is the things that we do. That that was a big part of it, empowering my players to be leaders, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That was a big one, you know. And that part of that obviously empower the coaches, but empower them. I mean, they have. But then, what is leadership, right? Right. So for me, it's very simple. And I and I I pick some of this and a lot of this stuff, I pick up places, right? And I add to it and I just make it my own because I think it's one thing to take something out of somebody else's book. You have to own it. At the end of the day, you got to own it. So mm-hmm. you better believe in it. So like the faith, courage, and class was a big deal to me. That was our pillars. But then we talk about leadership, Com- consistent, commanding, positive, engaging, consistent. You've never seen an inconsistent leader. There's somebody who is, this is what they do and they do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that, that consistency is what people trust. Right. Right. Consistent, positive, that they stay positive. Even in tough times, they stay positive because any slappy can get negative. It's really easy. Uh, consistent, positive, engaging, um, that they're, no matter what it is you're doing, they're there. They're present. So they put the phone down. They put their pin down. They look you in the eye and they talk to you. And the last thing is commanding that they don't have to be a yelling or a screamer. It's not the loudest guy who's your best leader. It's the guy that when he has something important to say, people listen. And so, um, you know, some of the best players I've had don't say, but best leaders I've had don't say a word, but they show up every day. They're working hard. They listen. They pay attention. And then when they do want to talk, it's silent. Because everybody else is like, oh crap, this guy's going to say right. something impactful. So those are the those are my qualities to a great leader. Now we talk about it, even to this day, we still talk about this. So all you the time. were working on those your first couple of years to get you better. The, those were the things I already believed in, but those were the things that I had. I was watching myself to stick to those things and not stray from those things. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. I already knew. I knew when I became a head coach. I had all this stuff planned out. Like I already knew everything I believed in. Um, so I was ready for it. When you asked me earlier about being ready for the job, I was ready for all of that part of it. 
I wasn't ready for the, all the administrative right. crap I had to deal with, but I was ready to, I was ready to have my pillars of what my values were. And I was ready to develop leaders. I was ready for both those things, but the test becomes, do I, as the leader, stick to those values and stick to those leadership qualities Right. when times are tough. And see, it's interesting you say times are tough. You also see how a leader is when times are going well. Oh, without Right? Without when you're nine and one or one and nine, you can either rise up at yeah. one and nine and get everybody rallied. We're, we're okay yeah. and we're, the record's not right, but we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Yes. But when you're nine and one, you can have total chaos. Yep. And that could be just as hard on yes. the coach. We just went, and that's and that's where we okay. So that's where we're at right now in our right. program. We just went two years ago. We were ten and two. Well, let me backtrack. Well, we were ten and two two years ago. We were ten and one last year. Two double digit win seasons, pretty impressive. Where are we at now? Where we're at now is we better have guys in the weight room lifting. We better have we better we can't stray from the values that we've set forth in our program. And one thing that happened coming out of COVID in twenty one was we we were six and five, and it wasn't what we're used to wasn't what we liked, but more importantly, there were some issues that we had internally within the team that we as coaches didn't like. And uh, one of the things I talked to the, I talked to the coaches about was reestablishing our values. And, and it wasn't like, I don't know how to say this. It wasn't um, that people didn't know our values or we didn't know what our values were. We weren't really living by our values. And so I brought in some players um, during that time between a 21, 22 season. And I said, look, here's the deal. I think it's time that you may go, you, you're going to have to transfer out. You go separate way. Um, because I don't think what you value and what I value or what we value as a program are matching up. We're not in alignment mm-hmm. and I'm not mad. I'll help you transfer, but we're just not on the same page. And so we need to move on. And we hit a, we hit a kind of a reset button on the culture and t- going into the 22 season. And that was phenomenal. And I don't think we have to hit the reset button now, but I think we do have to find out, are we sticking to our values right now? I mean, it's still early. We're only sitting here sure. in February. We got a long time. We haven't, we're not even close to spring ball yet, but are we doing the things that we need to do to stick to those values of, of, of our program, which are a little different here, here it's, here it's class communication and championships, but our leadership values are exactly the same. So are right. we still adhering to those values overall? That's, that's, but that's yeah. my job right now because we've won two championship rings and everybody's excited. Da, 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 da. But we've got a game on September 7th against Santa Barbara city that I promise you they're going to be ready for. Sure. That's my job sitting mm-hmm. here in February. So when you're nine and one, is it 2011? 2011. Right. One, yep. So that's go to the national playoffs. National playoffs. Time. First time ever. Yep. How are you handling that kind of pressure? Um, I'm good with it. What I was worried about was what I didn't know. In other words, I, I get worried about, it's not what I know that I, I, I worry about. It's what I don't know that the I unknown. worry about. The unknown. So, you know, I didn't know how, I didn't know how, like, and maybe I wasted energy on it and I should have, shouldn't have, but, um, but again, we weren't always managing things administratively in the, in the, in the, in the most efficient manner. So I was dealing with a lot of the stuff. How does it re, how does the NCAA reimburse you? Mm-hmm. You know, you go on, you go make the NCAA playoffs and then, well, how do you, so now you're telling me I get this amount of money, but when, so, am I, so do I pay for it first and you reimburse me? How does this work? Oh, but you're going to pay for the buses, but I got to do this. So th- all those little things that had come up. Right. That nobody on my campus had any clue about. 
Well, you looked. And then the nobody video knew. I nobody saw, knew. Yeah. In the video I saw from some TV interview, yeah. you were like, God smacked it. You can only play 52 players. And you're like. Well, that was the other thing I hated. You're like, yeah. we normally play at least 70. Yeah. You're telling me now this affects the way I substitute and yes. play a game? Right. I mean, you look like somebody shot yeah. your dog. Yeah, because I had to I had to not suit. Eight, at least I'm going to get choked up here because. I had kids in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. So kids who were came in as freshmen that didn't know who the head coach was. Because mind you, I didn't I didn't get hired until kids had already kind of said they were coming to Illinois College and play. Mm-hmm. But they bought into everything I asked them to do. But they weren't in the top 52. I couldn't suit them. I couldn't even travel some of them. I did. I said, screw it. I'm blowing my budget and I'm going to, these kids deserve this. But I couldn't suit them up. So now I've got seniors who, because there was five kids that you could have as alternates that could warm up with you but couldn't suit up. And so now all of a sudden I've got kids that who have given their heart and soul to everything that we I've asked them to do, and now I can't suit them up? Yeah, four I, years of their life. That's oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean, how was that conversation for you to just, when you first, oh, to tell? Extremely difficult. Did you talk to assistant coaches and let them know position coaches to notify it or did you know uh, uh, they so the, the coaches would talk to me the kids i notified the players about the 52 man roster and kind of what was going to happen um and i left it up to pretty much the position coaches to kind of have the conversation with here's oh, where i think we're at and here's what's going to happen yeah. that must be now i dealt with a little bit of that because when i was at menlo we had to we had to plane ride everywhere right. And we flew commercial. We didn't. We weren't chartering anything. Yeah, right. So we we had some limits there too. So we had to leave some kids at home. And and every and every team has a, ro- a travel roster that would go on certain games. But I've never had one that small before. Well, and there's one thing missing week four when you're flying to exactly. Billings, Montana. Exactly. It's another one when it's the NCAA the tournament, playoffs, yeah. yeah, championship, yeah. and you've yeah. spent four years of yeah. your life. Yeah. And I had experienced it because we, we had the same issue at Carthage. So I'd experienced it, and I remember watching the head coach at the time go through this agony because he felt the same way about his kids. And I remembered it being a big deal. And I, yeah, it was tough. It was just, I just thought it was completely unfair. But I think it's a BS rule. It is. They have since upped the number. I think it's like 60 now, which is still isn't enough in my opinion, but it, it's better. What's, what would be an appropriate number? Yeah, I think it's the same. Okay. Because like you said, like yeah. it's, you said, it's going to affect the way I... Oh, without doubt. Managed this without game. Doubt. Even here, I still like to play a lot of guys. Yeah. Guys are now going to have to play special teams yeah. who don't, or the way we substitute offense, defensive yeah. line. And that's why you see, actually, that's why you actually see a lot of blowouts in first round games of the NCAA playoffs, for, especially for, for football, like Division Two, Division Three, and AI. Thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with Garrett Campbell. If you enjoyed this episode, please click and hit the like button, become a subscriber to the podcast. And remember, you can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram. You can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.